This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. The Humanist Report podcast is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member at humanistreport.com. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is episode 225 of the program. Today is Friday, January 17th, and before we get started, I want to take some time to thank all of our newest Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube members, all of which signed up for the very first time to support the show this week, and that includes Akanu Bogstali, Carlos Feliciano, Dante's Death One, Heather Adele Tate, Jeffrey Songster, Joel, Chris Kramer, Lisa LaMagna, Paul H. Dorn, Ryan Lago, Cena, Strange Earth Records, and Taylor Clark. So thank you so much to all of these kind people. If you'd also like to support the show and join the independent progressive media revolution, you could do so by going to humanistreport.com slash support, patreon.com slash humanistreport, or by clicking join underneath any one of our YouTube videos. So this week on the program, we will talk about Elizabeth Warren's accusation that Bernie attacked her, as well as the story she leaked to the press suggesting Bernie Sanders was sexist. We'll discuss the aftermath of the story, talk about the need to stop Joe Biden, AOC's new organization that aims to compete with the DCCC, and I'll give you my pre-debate expectations followed by my post-debate breakdown. We'll discuss Bernie's greatest moments at the debate, as well as Elizabeth Warren's attempt to smear Bernie Sanders once again, and the disgusting pettiness that she put on display when she refused to shake his hand at the end. And finally, I will give you my closing thoughts on that story and hopefully wrap it up permanently. We'll talk about Bernie's taunting of Donald Trump, how Joe Biden poses a threat to Social Security, and we'll discuss Chris Matthew and why he thinks Bernie Sanders is the one to beat in Iowa. And finally, we close the week by talking to 2020 congressional candidate Hector Oseguera from New Jersey. And that's what we've got on the agenda for this week's episode. Hopefully you guys will enjoy the show. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Enjoy. Well, the 2020 Democratic Party primary is officially getting ugly, and it is all because of Bernie Sanders. Now, of course, you would believe that if you only consumed mainstream media, but Politico published a piece where they are alleging that Bernie Sanders is now stealthily attacking Elizabeth Warren, or more specifically, they're saying that Bernie is instructing his volunteers to attack Elizabeth Warren. So as Alex Thompson and Holly Otterbein of Politico write, Sanders' campaign has begun stealthily attacking Warren as a candidate of the upper crust who could not expand the Democratic base in a general election, according to talking points his campaign is using to sway voters and obtained by Politico. The script instructs Sanders' volunteers to tell voters leading toward the Massachusetts senator that the people who support her are highly educated, more affluent people who are going to show up and vote Democratic no matter what, and that she's bringing no new bases into the Democratic Party. I like Elizabeth Warren. Optional, the script begins. In fact, she's my second choice. But here's my concern about her. It then pivots to the criticisms of Warren. Now, I don't know why Politico chose to characterize this as an attack in the first place, because if you're just citing the demographics of people who support a particular candidate, you know, assuming that you have the statistical data to back it up, that's not an attack. That's just stating a fact. 
And I mean, I'm sure that most campaigns have some type of script so that way their volunteers know how to respond to, you know, a voter that they contact if they support a different campaign. But what really makes this ironic is that Politico is calling this an attack when they're the ones who originally published this attack because back in july this is an article that they put out quote sanders and warren voters have astonishingly little in common his backers are younger make less money have fewer degrees and are less engaged in politics and if you'll notice the author of this article is none other than holly otterbein who is the same person who co-published the article that we just read where this statistic is, you know, apparently an attack, or a stealth attack, as they put it. And they also tweeted out what they now deem is an attack on Warren, and as 2020 candidate Anthony Clark puts it, you can't make this shit up. Exactly. This is a perfect example of how the corporate media tries to manufacture some type of controversy. They cited statistics wrote an article about this and now that same author is saying because one of bernie's volunteers is using this data that we published well that's an attack on elizabeth warren so the story in and of itself is nonsensical but you would expect elizabeth warren to not take the bait because that's what she's done however she didn't do that she took this story ran with it and is now playing the victim and she's saying i can't believe that bernie sanders would attack me like this and trash me like this. She's feigning outrage. So take a look at what she had to say. The Bernie Sanders campaign and the way that they are talking about you at the doors here in Iowa, basically saying that your voters are people who will vote Democrat anyway, that you don't bring new bases into the Democratic tent. Why is he wrong? I was disappointed to hear that Bernie is sending his volunteers out to trash me. Bernie knows me and has known me for a long time. Uh, he knows who I am, where I come from, what I have worked on and fought for, and the coalition and grassroots movement we're trying to build. Democrats want to win in 2020. We all saw the impact of the factionalism in 2016, and we can't have a repeat of that. Um, Democrats need to unite our party, and that means pulling in all parts of the Democratic coalition. It means building a grassroots movement with face-to-face conversations with people who door not. It means getting a positive message out to people. That's how we will beat Donald Trump. We cannot nominate someone who takes big chunks of the Democratic coalition for granted. We need someone who will bring our party together. We need someone who will excite every part of the Democratic party. Someone who will um, will be there. Someone that every Democrat can believe in. I hope Bernie You say you need someone though who every Democrat can get behind. Is that not Bernie Sanders? I believe we need someone every Democrat can get behind. I'm out there fighting for every Democrat. So, um, she took the bait. 
and she is absolutely playing the victim. And I'll tell you why I think she's doing this, but she says, I was disappointed to hear that Bernie sent his volunteers out to trash me, and I hope Bernie reconsiders and turns his campaign in a different direction. Really, Warren? Really? Now, on top of that, um, she essentially implies that he was responsible for the division in 2016 after she admitted in 2017 that the DNC rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders. So if that were the case, if she believed that, even if she walked it back, you know, of course, it wouldn't be Bernie who was responsible for the division. Wouldn't you assume that it was the establishment for fucking over Bernie and his supporters that catalyzed this division in the first place? So, I mean, she is taking this story and she's running with it. And I think it's because she knows her numbers are down. She needs to attack Bernie Sanders in order to increase in the polls and gain more articles about herself, but she doesn't want to come across as the bad guy. So what is she doing? She's playing victim so that way she can attack Bernie Sanders or claim that he's attacking her, and then she can attack him and say, well, look, he drew first blood. I think this is what she's trying to do, but what's even more interesting about this is the story was misrepresented by Politico because a Bernie Sanders volunteer actually reached out and confirmed that this wasn't something that the Bernie, you know, headquarters, if you will, had sent out and instructed people in the campaign to do. This is just something that one Bernie volunteer posted in a Slack group for Bernie volunteers. And Eric Isaac, who's a Bernie volunteer, clarified on Twitter saying, here's what actually happened. A random user who's only ever posted once before posted that document in the Sanders volunteer Slack group. A moderator promptly removed it and stated that it was not a campaign source. Bernie is not sending his volunteers out to trash any candidate. We have a very strict code of conduct on how we must interact with voters if we want to be part of the campaign. Politico and every other outlet reporting on this non-story are being incredibly irresponsible. I would happily post a screenshot of the conversation in Slack, but then I would be violating the agreement I made with the campaign to not share screenshots from Slack. They delete anything that talks about any other candidate in a negative way. I could right now go dump a document criticizing every candidate in Warren's campaign's app, then screenshot it and send it to Politico so they could write a story about it. This was not a campaign maneuver, period. So given that Elizabeth Warren probably has the same type of platform where her volunteers communicate, she should know that this story and the details about it were dubious, but she took the bait and she decided to run with it because she wanted some type of excuse to attack Bernie Sanders herself. Now, she decided to take this to the next level. She doubled down and is now fundraising off of this attack lobbed against her by Bernie's campaign. So she sent out an email this morning saying, last night we got some disappointing news. Bernie Sanders' campaign is instructing volunteers to dismiss our broad-based inclusive campaign, saying the people who support Elizabeth are highly educated, more affluent people. When I heard that description, I didn't recognize it. That doesn't describe me or many of the passionate volunteers and organizers I know. This type of attack isn't about dis agreeing on issues. It's about dismissing the potency of our grassroots movement. Let's be clear, as a party and as a country, we can't afford to repeat the factionalism of the 2016 primary to win in November. We need a nominee who can unite a broad coalition of Democrats who will excite every part of the Democratic Party and inspire more people to join the fight. If you want the Democratic primary to be about a substantive vision for a country that works for everyone, I'm asking you to support our campaign with a contribution right now. So she's doubling down and once again implying that Bernie Sanders is responsible for the divisiveness 
in 2016. Not the DNC, not Hillary Clinton, but Bernie Sanders. That's the implication here. And believe it or not, she actually doesn't want to have a substantive policy discussion with Bernie Sanders because his platform is better than hers in every conceivable way. The only thing I agree more with Elizabeth Warren on is totally getting rid of the filibuster. But when it comes to policy issues, he's better than her. He goes further on every single issue and he's more reliable because he has a multi-decade record of fighting for all of these same issues. Now, Elizabeth Warren is a very smart person and she knows exactly what she's doing. I think she knows that the details of the story are dubious and that this isn't really even an attack, but this is a strategy. Look, here's the thing. When you are down in the polls, then it's really good for you to attack your opponent. But the thing about attacks is that sometimes they backfire. Oftentimes, if you attack someone, you can drive down their support, but you also simultaneously drive down your support. So the best way to attack someone is to respond to their attacks strategically and statistically. That's the best way. So she really desperately wants people to think that Bernie Sanders is the one who instigated all of these attacks. He started. So now that she's attacking him, she doesn't look as bad. It's strategy, and it tells you that she's not really an ally. She doesn't actually care about the progressive movement. She's just in this for herself. So, I mean, this is incredibly disappointing to see her doing this, but I mean, it's getting to a point where Iowa is taking place in weeks, and she's behind in the polls. The Des Moines Register just found that he's three points ahead of her. He's in first place in Iowa, and she's freaking out, and I think rightfully so. So strategically, it makes sense for her to go after Bernie Sanders in this way. But I just would have expected, I guess, better from Elizabeth Warren. I would have expected her to not be so disingenuous in her attacks on Bernie Sanders and understand this is an attack on Bernie Sanders by Elizabeth Warren. He didn't start this, she did. But I want everyone who's watching this, who supports Bernie Sanders, to be mindful of the fact that anything we say about Bernie Sanders can be used by the establishment as a representation of Bernie's campaign, even if we have nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. They're going to use what you say to attack Bernie Sanders. So watch everything you say and acknowledge that we all represent the movement, like it or not. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. This is incredibly disappointing to see Elizabeth Warren, you know, use this manufactured disingenuous story to attack Bernie Sanders, but she wants to win and she doesn't really care if it hurts the aggregate progressive movement. I don't think she really cares about being part of it. She just wants to be the nominee and she knows that her opponent is in the lead and she has to attack him if she wants a boost. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if she attacked Bernie Sanders at tomorrow's debate, but she doesn't want to talk about policy. Understand that because Bernie Sanders will win that discussion 10 times out of 10 because he's just better than her on that. So she has to resort to these types of manufactured controversies in order to try to bring him down. So rather than targeting, you know, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, she's going after Bernie Sanders. So um, this is disgusting. And Elizabeth Warren needs to understand that if she's truly worried about divisiveness, then further dividing the progressive movement isn't the best way to go about this. And I'll leave that there. So just one day before CNN will host the final Democratic Party primary before the Iowa caucus, they just so happened to conveniently stumble upon a controversial new story about a thing that Bernie Sanders reportedly said. Quote, Bernie Sanders told Elizabeth Warren in private 2018 meeting that a woman 
can't win, sources say. Now, the context is unclear. Is he saying that a woman isn't competent enough to win? Is he saying that a woman will have a more difficult path to the White House because there's a lot of sexism and anti-woman bias? I mean, we don't know. We don't know about the full context. Does it really matter? No, because CNN wants you to believe that Bernie Sanders was being brazenly sexist here in this conversation with Elizabeth Warren. So, um, who said this? Because it seems like the only two people who were in this meeting were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. So, which one of them is the one who spilled the beans? Well, according to CNN, the description of that meeting is based on the accounts of four people. Two people Warren spoke with directly soon after the encounter and two people familiar with the meeting. Oh, okay, so anonymous sources, how convenient. Now, rather than diving into the details of this story, I'm going to play a clip for you because, of course, CNN broadcasted this as well. So this is what the author of the story uh, had to say. Warren is blasting the Sanders campaign for reportedly giving volunteers a script to follow to denigrate her as a candidate, only appealing to the elite. But that may now be only part of the story between these two. Here with me now is CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger and CNN political correspondent MJ Lee. And MJ, you have some new details about a meeting between these two, a long ago meeting before either of them joined the race. Tell us about this. That's right. We have some new reporting on a private meeting that took place between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in December of 2018. You can do the math on the timing of all of this. This would have been when both senators were both uh, preparing to launch their 2020 campaigns. Uh, and the two met in Warren's Washington, D.C. apartment, and they discussed a couple of things. And here's what CNN learned. Uh, we learned that the two discussed uh, the, import the importance of staying civil and not going on the attack against one another if the two were to face-off in the 2020 election. Uh, they thought that it was important to not undermine the progressive movement. Uh, we also have reporting that they discussed ways to beat uh, Donald Trump and that Warren uh, told Bernie Sanders that two major reasons she thought that she would be a strong candidate was because she could mount a robust uh, argument on the economy and that she thought she could get broad support from female voters. Now, four sources tell CNN that Bernie Sanders responded to Elizabeth Warren by saying he does not believe that a woman can win. Uh, now, we are also told that uh, Sanders expressed some frustration uh, about the role of identity politics uh, for Democrats and also that Elizabeth Warren disagreed uh, with Sanders' assessment that a woman could not win. Uh, now, the Warren campaign did not comment uh, in response to this story, but Bernie Sanders has just sent this statement to CNN. Uh, I will read it in full. He says, it is ludicrous to believe that at the same meeting where Elizabeth Warren told me she was going to run for president, I would tell her that a woman couldn't win. It's sad that three weeks before the Iowa caucus and a year after that private conversation, staff who weren't in the room are lying about what happened. What I did say that night was that Donald Trump is a sexist, a racist, and a liar who would weaponize whatever he could. Do I believe a woman can win in 2020? Of course. After all, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by 3 million votes in 2016. So, Brianna, not only is Bernie Sanders aggressively pushing back, he is now accusing the Warren campaign of lying. Well, it's interesting because the Warren campaign isn't commenting. Elizabeth Warren could say, no, that's not actually right. the conversation isn't happened. So that's really important to note that, Gloria. 
Now, I don't know what Bernie Sanders said. Maybe he said something about sexism that is being misconstrued here. But what I do know is that I don't believe this story. I'm sorry, I don't believe four anonymous sources. First of all, because does anyone believe he would tell his future female opponent that she can't win because she's a woman? I mean, who would be dumb enough to do that. And second of all, I don't believe this because the four anonymous sources were not in the room with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Bernie's campaign manager, Faz Secure, confirmed that it was just them in the room. Do you think we need to hear directly from Senator Warren on this? Of course we do. We need to hear from her directly, but I, but I know what she would say, that it is not true, that it is a lie. So I, mean, I, I welcome her coming out and disputing this and say, putting this to rest. You have four anonymous sources who have commented on the story. I, I don't hate, hate to get into a critique of the media here with the media, but these are the kinds of stories we get frustrated about. If you want to make an accusation of this caliber and this nature, then put your name to it. But you have four anonymous sources saying stuff that isn't true. There are only two people in the room. It was Elizabeth Warren. It was Bernie Sanders. They both believe. That that so I don't believe this because those four anonymous sources as a matter of fact, we're not in the room when Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren had this conversation. Furthermore, I don't believe it because it flies in the face of everything that Bernie Sanders has been saying. You see, the benefit of supporting a candidate with a 40 plus year record is that we have a lot of receipts that tell us what he actually believes. In fact, back in 1988, he said that he believed a woman can in fact win the White House. The real issue is not whether you're black or white, whether you're a woman or a man. In my view, a woman could be elected president of the United States. Yeah, and on top of that, here he is telling a classroom of young girls that they absolutely should run for president and participate in politics. In fact, they have a right to participate in politics as much as boys do. Um, women there? Not in Burlington. There have been, uh, there have been, and there are women mayors all over the country. There is a woman governor. Who can tell me the name of our governor? Yeah. Um, I think it's not, not Gordon. Not only Gordon. That's right, Madeline Cunin. And Governor Cunin is a woman. And there are other, not a whole lot. I think there's one other woman governor. There are the mayor of San Francisco is a woman, and there are many women mayors, but not enough. And one of the very important things, and I hope that all the girls in this class understand, that you, just as much as the boys, have a right to become president. There's not been a woman president, although there was a woman who was giving thought to running for president this time, a, a from Colorado, a woman named Representative Schroeder gave some thought. So I hope that the girls will think that they have the right to be involved in politics quite as much as the boys do. Beginning to change, but it's not changing fast enough. So do you honestly believe that that person would tell Elizabeth Warren, his future opponent, to her face that she can't win because she's a woman? Absolutely not. So if this is based off of a real quote, assuming, you know, the story isn't manufactured entirely, then there's no way that Bernie Sanders was being sexist. There's no way. I, ju I just, I don't believe it. I'm sorry. These four anonymous sources can't be trusted. CNN cannot be trusted, who has shown disdain for Bernie Sanders in the past. And also, this is a day before the debate when they know that if they put Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on that stage and pit them against each other, that will be great for ratings. It also serves their agenda because that gives potentially Biden and Buttigieg a boost. So I don't trust 
anyone in this circumstance. The story stinks, and Elizabeth Warren is conveniently remaining silent because she knows this will hurt Bernie, and she also knows this isn't true. So, I mean, she'll eventually, I'm assuming, come out and say that this wasn't true, but why not just let the story, you know, fester a little bit, hurt Bernie Sanders' chances, so maybe she kind of gets a boost, you know, to the detriment of Bernie's campaign. And here's the thing, let's assume that this story were true for a moment. Well, as HuffPost writer Amanda Turkle points out, she reported just a month ago, Biden noted that part of the reason he's electable is that he won't face sexist attacks. Biden's campaign said that he wasn't trying to say that women are less electable than men, but he was listing ways that he will be able to beat Trump when Clinton can't, and he mentioned the unfair sexist attacks she faced in 2016. That's not going to happen to me, he said. So ask yourself this, did you hear anyone in the mainstream media freak out about Biden saying this? Did CNN denounce what Biden said here? No. Now, we don't even know what Bernie Sanders said. We're basing this off of hearsay. But yet, this is incredibly controversial, and we should all believe that Bernie Sanders is sexist. That's the takeaway. So it's just dirty. There's a double standard, and that's if we believe that Bernie Sanders said that, but I don't believe that he believes that, and I don't believe that he would say this. Now, I want you to understand that this is all what we expected would happen. Back in December, when I talked about the polling data and how it showed Bernie Sanders was in fact surging and that the media was finally starting to pay attention, I predicted that this is something that would happen, not because, you know, I'm some type of prophet, but because I've seen the media's tactics. This is the same thing that they've been doing for years to not just Bernie Sanders, but progressives in general. This is what I said. But once pretty much the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the Fox Newses of the world acknowledge that he is in fact leading and he has a real shot at the nomination, we will see a barrage of criticism that will be like anything we have ever seen before. Because if you thought that the smears of Bernie Sanders have been disgusting now, which they have been, you haven't seen anything yet. Because capital will not just, you know, roll over and die. It's going to fight with everything it has. So if Bernie Sanders continues to surge and if he makes a significant jump to where he starts leading in all of these primary states, once it's undeniable, they are going to pull out every single trick in the book. And people who you once thought were your allies are now going to be speaking out against Bernie Sanders and they will reveal their true colors. They were only paying lip service to the movement. And they never really cared about the movement. We're going to see the media try to rehabilitate other candidates like Elizabeth Warren because, you know, since she's now sliding and they see that Bernie Sanders is rising, they're going to try to present her once again as the progressive alternative. And I can't even fathom all of the different ways that, you know, they're going to try to beat Bernie Sanders, but understand that that is what they will do. So as you can see, this is playing out exactly as I predicted it would. And... The attacks on Bernie Sanders and the smears, quite frankly, have ramped up after the Des Moines Register released a poll that showed he was in first place in Iowa. Once that poll came out, a poll that is largely viewed as the gold standard and showed that Bernie was in first and Elizabeth Warren wasn't too far behind, you know, that made pundits lose their mind because this poll shows that Bernie has a real shot if he can actually win Iowa. So buckle up because this is only the beginning. As I stated, 
they are not going to allow Bernie Sanders to walk and, you know, just cruise on to the nomination uh, without any level of resistance. They are going to fight him tooth and nail. And we're just seeing the beginning. But keep calm and understand that this is what we expected and anticipated. And we are all ready to respond because we have receipts. Don't get discouraged by these smears. Just canvas for Bernie Sanders, phone bank for Bernie Sanders, and, you know, chip in a buck or two to help him here. Because, you know, for every single thing that the media says about him, he's going to have to spend campaign cash to refute in an ad or something. Or he's going to take time off the campaign trail to have to respond so we can help Bernie Sanders overcome these barriers that the media will inevitably put up by stepping on the gas that much harder. Again, this is not something that should discourage us. It should encourage us to actually fight that much harder because we all knew these attacks were coming and now they're finally here and it's probably going to get a lot uglier than this. Expect a lot more stories from anonymous sources to say that Bernie Sanders is basically Satan. So before I cut the cameras, I decided to check one last time just to see and make sure Elizabeth Warren didn't respond because I want to include her response. And as I recorded this video, it does appear that she responded. So she released a statement and this was given to us by someone named Kristen Orthman who works for her. And this is her statement. Bernie and I met for more than two hours in December 2018 to discuss the 2020 election, our past work together, and our shared goals, beating Donald Trump, taking back our government from the wealthy and well-connected, and building an economy that works for everyone. Among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. I have no interest in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences on punditry. I'm in this race to talk about what's broken in this country and how to fix it, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. I know Bernie is in the race for the same reason. We have been friends and allies in this fight for a long time, and I have no doubt we will continue to work together to defeat Donald Trump and put our government on the side of the people. Wow. So she's saying, yeah, this report is actually true. So it's his word against hers. He's saying this is an outright lie. She's saying it's not a lie. Now, the good news is that uh, most people can see, I think, that Bernie Sanders wouldn't say something like this one because it's stupid and two because it flies in the face as i stated of all the things that he said his advocacy for women in politics throughout the years but the bad news is that even if i don't believe the average person will believe you know this line of attack or whatever bernie sanders said in whatever context the media hates bernie sanders more than they hate elizabeth warren in fact i think they like elizabeth warren and they're going to believe her over him in this situation. So this is damaging. This is devastating. I can't believe this. And the fact that she is refusing to provide us with any additional context. What Bernie Sanders said. Did she misconstrue it? Did they misconstrue it? I mean, you're not telling us anymore, really? It goes to show you that she wants Bernie Sanders to be damaged because of this. And she's not serious about helping the progressive movement. Otherwise, she would give us more information about this. This is absolutely ridiculous. Now, on top of that, while I was recording this, Sean King gave us some news. He actually has a source 
uh, he knows someone who talked to Elizabeth Warren and understand this is hearsay, but this is what he says. Wow. Just spoke to a source who told me that Elizabeth Warren admittedly embellished the words of Bernie Sanders to her friends after her meeting with him in 2018, saying that Bernie said a woman couldn't win, but that he never actually said those words. Disgusting. So Bernie Sanders states that this was a lie. And then there is evidence now from people close to Elizabeth Warren based on Sean King's tweet here that Elizabeth Warren admitted that she lied. So I think that it's clear Bernie Sanders didn't say this or he said something about women running for president and she misconstrued it or embellished and she's misinterpreting it and she's doing this because she knows that Bernie's loss is potentially her gain. She wants to get Bernie's progressive voters to jump ship and flock to her. But I don't think she realizes that the opposite is going to happen. This is driving people away from her. Because as she continues to pivot to the center in this primary to appeal to centrists, as she moves away from Medicare for All, as she has this botched response to Soleimani, she's turning off Bernie Sanders voters. So anyone who was willing to support her before is getting even more and more driven away by this because she accused Bernie Sanders of being divisive. And now here she is possibly lying about Bernie Sanders. Now, I don't know. Um, I wish that she would actually be more kind and give us some additional context. If she believes that Bernie Sanders said this and she genuinely believes that he said something like this, give us the context with which he was saying this. Tell us more. Do you genuinely believe, Liz, that he was saying this to be sexist? Do you believe his comment was sexist? We need more information. You're not giving us enough and it's incredibly frustrating for you to say this and just leave us hanging now. So we have to wait, I guess, until the debate for you and Bernie to talk about this when you have 30 seconds each. I mean, it's preposterous. This is absolutely disgusting and slimy. Sorry, I don't believe Elizabeth Warren. I don't believe the person who lied about their Native American heritage. She is someone who is less trustworthy than Bernie Sanders. So I'm going to take his side until we can actually confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to do that because it's his word against hers. So I guess I'm going to have to default to the person who has been more reliable and doesn't get caught lying every other month. Bernie Sanders. So we will never know exactly what was said in that private meeting between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but more and more as we gather additional resources, learn more about the context, it seems like Bernie Sanders' interpretation of that event is more accurate, and on top of that, it seems like Elizabeth Warren's team deliberately leaked the story in hopes that maybe this would hurt Bernie Sanders and that they would benefit from this. Now, we do know that somebody else who met with Bernie Sanders claims that he never said anything like this. Tulsi Gabbard tweeted out, I also met with Bernie Sanders before announcing my candidacy. We had a nice one-on-one -on -one conversation and I informed him that I would be running for president. In that meeting, he showed me the greatest respect and encouragement, just as he always has. So there's that. And additionally, the Washington Post published an article where I don't know if they talked to a new source, but they give us more context that sheds light on what Bernie Sanders might have said. Quote, two people with knowledge of the conversation at the 2018 dinner at Warren's home told the Washington Post that Warren brought up the issue by asking Sanders whether he believed a woman could win. One of the people with knowledge of the conversation said Sanders did not say a woman couldn't win, but rather that Trump would use nefarious tactics against the Democratic nominee. So if this is true, then what Elizabeth Warren is saying is 
a gross misrepresentation. And this is why when she said, look, Bernie said that a woman couldn't win and I disagreed, but I'm done talking about it. We all got mad because additional context is crucial here. This matters. And because she is so willing to move on tells me that her team probably leaked this story and it backfired and now she wants to move on before it hurts her anymore. But this is unacceptable. Like, if you truly did leak this story, then uh, we deserve to know what was said in that meeting. Again, we're never going to know exactly what was said because they weren't recording the meeting. But I mean, you are bringing this up now, so let's talk about it. Let's have an honest conversation about this so that way we can figure out where the truth is. But as time goes on, it does seem like Elizabeth Warren's team did leak this story to the press. As Steve Peoples of AP reports, a senior Bernie Sanders advisor tells me that they believe that Elizabeth Warren's campaign intentionally leaked a false description of their 2018 meeting, says it's a recent pattern of Warren attacking the Democratic frontrunner. So Bernie's team now believes that Elizabeth Warren leaked this story to the press, and even Nate Silver of 538, who is no fan of Bernie Sanders, believes that Elizabeth Warren's team most likely leaked this story, tweeting, wait, there are people who don't think the Warren campaign leaked the story? So if I had to guess, it seems like Elizabeth Warren's team did in fact leak this story because they want to hurt Bernie, because we're three weeks away from Iowa, and their team is desperate because her numbers are falling. And that is incredibly unfortunate because if you truly wanted to contrast, you know, the differences between you and Bernie Sanders, if you stick to policy, nobody would have a problem with that. But you chose to go the smear route. And that's really disgusting. That's something that I do not respect. That's something I don't respect. Because sexism in politics is an incredibly important issue. And if Bernie Sanders talked about the you know prevalence of sexism and how it's a real issue, and you misconstrued what he said to suit your own political narrative... That's really disgusting, and it seems like that's the case. So I just don't see why Bernie Sanders would lie about this. It's clear that Elizabeth Warren leaked this story because she had the most to gain here, and when you take into consideration Sean King's sources, if we can accept what he's saying as truth, that you know she admitted that she embellished what Bernie Sanders had said, then it really doesn't look good for Elizabeth Warren. Now look, I don't know if this is going to hurt Bernie overall, but I do know that it's not going to help Elizabeth Warren, although it may benefit one candidate, Joe Biden. And let me remind you that he is currently the front runner. He is the front runner. He's polling in first place nationally, and he's basically statistically tied with Bernie Sanders for first place in Iowa and New Hampshire currently. So I don't know what Elizabeth Warren was trying to accomplish here. Maybe her and Biden have some type of, you know, non-attack truce or something. Maybe he promised her a VP slot if she went after Bernie. I don't know. But what I do know is that I am incredibly, incredibly disappointed in Elizabeth Warren because this is something that, you know, I, I just, I expect better from her. I've been disappointed in her time and again. But this really does seem like a new low. Now, I do want to play you a couple of clips. The first one is from Anna Kasparian, who appeared on uh, CNN. And she talked to Chris Cuomo and Howard Dean. I'm not going to play what Howard Dean had to say. But I will play what Anna said, because she made phenomenal points about this. And everything she said needs to be heard by everyone. We also need to mention that Bernie Sanders encouraged Elizabeth Warren to run back in 2016. And there are multiple videos of Bernie Sanders dating back to the 1980s, where he publicly spoke about how he believes a woman can win. And so 
all of this contextual information is incredibly important to the conversation. And unfortunately, it's being left out to paint a particular candidate as some sort of sexist yep. when the facts just don't bear that out. Well, we don't know what the facts are because Elizabeth Warren says we do, though. But he said we, do. It. we have but evidence of no, how do she we know says, he said no, 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 I don't. I don't context? know. I don't know anything. I'm saying Elizabeth Warren says he said it. So now we've got something here, right? If you and I have a, a conversation and I say, no, Anna said it. And Anna said, I would never say anything like that. I said, well, she said it to me. Now we have a problem, Anna. You're saying it's out of character. It's out of keeping. This isn't who he right. is. You have at the top of the ticket, you have Bernie Sanders. You have Senator Warren. You have vice, former Vice President Biden. You have uh, Buttigieg. And really, you have Klobuchar is hanging around. They all represent very different things. Is this proof of a party that does not know one or both of two things? One, who do we really want? Two, who can really beat this president? Well, I think it's important to look at how the polls have changed depending on how the candidates have positioned themselves on the policies. So if you can note... Elizabeth Warren was doing fabulously well in the polling when she was, you know, positioning herself as a strong progressive, as a fighter for Medicare she for made all, a run. as someone she who wanted to... She made a run, to, and she took some of Bernie's support during that time. But now she there's did. been attrition. And then, She's lost them back, well, and Bernie got some, and Buttigieg has. got some. So let me just finish my point. I think the reason why she noticed a dip in the polls, and if you just go back to the timing of all of this, it was after she put out her transition plan for Medicare for right. All. That transition plan made it abundantly clear mm. that she was not actually going to push for Medicare for All. She was really going to push for a public option. Then you see this dip in the poll, right? Mm. Now, my problem with Elizabeth Warren is that rather than acknowledging the flaw in her tactic there and changing course, she has decided to bring up a conversation that she had with Bernie Sanders in December of 2018 mm. when he notices a significant rise in the polls. Like, the American people aren't stupid. They notice what's going on. They notice that she's bringing this up at a time when her campaign is really struggling. Now, now, listen, I think it's a bad move on her point. I don't want to give them... I think she should focus on policy. I hear you. So everything that I have had on my mind... She said there, you know, she called Warren out for wanting to shut down the conversation. Um, she talked about how Bernie Sanders wanted Elizabeth Warren to run against Hillary Clinton back in 2015. In fact, we all know there are multiple reports. This is confirmed by Bernie Sanders campaign as well as, re as reporters that Bernie Sanders would have never ran had Elizabeth Warren entered the race. But he wanted a progressive to challenge Hillary Clinton. Elizabeth Warren refused to step up because she was too afraid to challenge power, and Bernie did. So why would he want someone who he believes would lose to challenge Hillary Clinton? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Everything Anna said was phenomenal, and it's so crucial that we have people in mainstream media to speak truth to power, because CNN has been talking about this all day long, and I'm not necessarily of the belief that CNN viewers, who are usual viewers of the program, of the network, will be supporting Bernie Sanders anyway, but nonetheless, they need to hear a counter-argument that makes sense, and Anna Kasparian was a breath of fresh air. So that was phenomenal, kudos to her. Now I've got one more clip for you, this is from the senior advisor to the Sanders campaign, Jeff Weaver, he talked to Cuomo, and he also explained the situation, what he thinks maybe happened, perhaps Elizabeth Warren misconstrued what Bernie Sanders said, but he also called CNN out for their bias, which was also incredibly important because um, after a Des Moines Register poll came out showing that Bernie Sanders was in first place, CNN featured that poll. They cited it 
And then they had the headline, no clear leader. As you can see now from the graphic that I put up on the screen, this is what CNN ran with. No clear leader when Bernie Sanders is clearly the leader. So Jeff Weaver addressed this story and also talked about that bias that CNN needs to address themselves. You guys are running against somebody where your high ground's supposed to be, he's a liar. We don't lie the way he does. We may have our wires crossed. I don't know, I wasn't in the room. You weren't in the room. Elizabeth Warren was. Correct. And she's saying he sure. said it. So you're in a box now where either you're saying she's lying or you gotta own it and give a context argument. Which is it? Well, that, look, Chris, I, I think there were some wires crossed. I mean, clearly what there was a discussion. What does that mean, wires crossed? They, they, had, they had lasagna, and so, so what you're saying is that she said, hey, Bernie, glad to see you. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you? Uh, hey, I'm running for president, Bernie. Oh, a woman can't win. Is that how the conversation went? I don't think so. Look, I think they well, talked about know. the 2020 race. Well, you don't know. You weren't there. Said, uh, she, she, she said, uh, she said I want to run. He disagreed with the idea that a woman could win. Why would she lie about it? What does that say about her? you got to make a case. No, what I'm saying is I think the wires are crossed. I think there was a discussion about Trump, misogyny, uh, sexism in politics, and, and, and the difficulty of running in the era of Trump for women, the special challenges that women face in the era of Trump. But, you know, those conversations can sometimes get misconstrued, Chris. I get you. Maybe that's what it is. But they've got to clear it up, and I'll tell you why. Here's why you have to uh, clear it up. I know if you take a step sideways and say, what do you care about this for? We have much bigger issues. Yes and no. The biggest issue that you face, I face, we all face right now in this circus uh, of what have, has become of our political dialogue is the truth. The truth has to matter on every oh, level sure. if you want to lead us. That's why this story matters. I don't care if Bernie Sanders thinks a woman can run, win, not run, not win. As long as he makes the case, that's fine. We're still allowed to our opinions in this democracy. And obviously he knows women can be formidable. One beat him by four million votes and she beat this standing president for, by 2.8 sure. million votes. But the truth matters, Jeff. Uh, that's absolutely. why I'm asking you. And that's why I don't like that Danny DeVito got pulled. No, no look, the truth does matter, uh, Chris. There's no doubt about that. You know, Bernie Sanders, as you know, uh, has a well-earned reputation for being authentic about talking mm -hmm. about what's on his mind and not sugarcoating things. Uh, I think voters understand that. That's why they like Bernie Sanders. They're, as you know, because you've been in this business for a while, a lot of voters you talk to are like, I don't agree with Bernie on everything, but you know what? The guy says the He's way the he real sees deal. it. He's honest. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He's not calculating. Uh, and I think uh, folks have to weigh that. The truth of the matter is, is they had a meeting, a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Uh, and I, as I said, I think it's Fairly likely, based on what I know, that the wires got crossed. It is unfortunate that a year after the meeting, frankly, that this was sort of leaked out, dumped out by folks who weren't at the meeting. Uh, you know, you got to ask some questions about that, given that it's three weeks before the Iowa caucus. Bernie Sanders, as you know, because you follow these things very closely, is on top of the polls in Iowa. He's on top of most of the polls in New Hampshire, a tide in Nevada, and the top of the polls in California. And so... You know, you do have to wonder about the timing of this, not on the part of Senator Warren, but some of the people around her. Well, well but look, but, you know, she's weighing in on it. Uh, and look, and not all the polls, right? You guys are all knotted up up at the top. And I think it's a real statement about the state of confusion within that party about what they think beats this sitting president and what they really want. So let's go to tomorrow night. Um, you're Bernie well, Sanders. Well, I will say this. Let me just say this one point on that, on, on that point, Chris. Let me just say this. Only when it's Bernie Sanders ahead by three. Uh, does CNN run a banner that says, unclear who's leading? If Joe no, Biden no, 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 three, no, don't do that to me, Jeff. Works. But anyway, but Jeff, that's, but hold on. No, no, but that's true, Chris. Come no, on. no, it's, it's not true. true. And just to be clear, just to be clear, there, he's with, you're within the margin of error right now, which is fine. That's my point about the whole top of the ticket. I've said it to you. I've said it many times. But let's just be clear here. Let's put our cards on the table. You know me well, brother. 
I was on New Day talking to Bernie Sanders before he was even in the race saying, hey, you're so big on these ideas. They're such big ideas. Why don't you run if you want your voice? And he said, nobody wants to hear from Bernie Sanders about these things. So I have been someone who is a fan of Bernie Sanders' voice for a long time. Agreed. The reason why Chris Cuomo thinks that this is an important story is because, you know, both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren call out Donald Trump for his repeated lies, rightfully so, but now we're in a situation where Bernie Sanders says one thing, Elizabeth Warren is saying another thing, and one of them is clearly lying, so what matters is the truth, right? They both claim to care about the truth, but yet one of them is lying, and it doesn't matter that Joe Biden boasted about how sexism isn't going to impact him since he's not a woman. What matters is that we need to figure out who's lying. Is it Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? I mean, that was incredibly sanctimonious of him, but if you're curious about who's telling the truth, well, most likely it's the person who didn't lie about his Native American heritage. She benefited off of this Native American heritage lie for I don't know how long, and then when activists called on her to speak out, when Standing Rock protesters were being brutalized by militarized police, she stayed silent. She was nowhere to be found and only spoke out, like, after the story was, like, long done, basically. Um, So, I mean, if you're gonna question who's more trustworthy, would you trust Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? I'll tell you this, there's a reason why I trust Bernie was trending on Twitter while this story broke. There's a reason why Refund Warren, with thousands of people asking Act Blue to refund their donation of Elizabeth Warren on Twitter, it's because we all trust Bernie Sanders more than Elizabeth Warren, because if he said something, he would say, I said that, and then explain himself or admit, look, I, I've changed, I don't agree with that, right? He didn't deny when his weird college papers or whatever came out, the stories that he wrote. He just said, look, that was cringeworthy. It was stupid. And I don't, I don't agree with that. It was satirical writings. And I wish I didn't do that. Like he has no reason to lie. He is known for being honest and trustworthy. And Elizabeth Warren has had times when she doesn't tell the truth, where she's unreliable. And we know that she's dipping in the polls and she's getting desperate, right? She wants to save her failing campaign. So, I mean, I think, I think it's obvious Bernie is the one who we can trust, who most people, I think, trust. But overall, I want people to remember that this is exactly what we expected would happen. It's probably the first of many attacks against Bernie Sanders. And, you know, it it still doesn't necessarily make it any better, seeing that Elizabeth Warren, of all people, we kind of thought was an ally, or at least the closest to being an ally in this race. Nonetheless, you know, let's move on and keep our eye on the prize, and remember that Bernie Sanders is still polling extremely well. There's a new poll that shows that he's in first in California. In fact, he grew his lead, so we can win this. Let's try to let all of this just, you know, roll off of our back or shoulders, whatever the saying is, and let's move on because it's not worth our time. Overall, this isn't going to help Elizabeth Warren Will it hurt Bernie? I don't necessarily know, but it's not going to be, you know, a nail in his coffin or anything like that. I think he certainly can recover if this does hurt him. And I think that whoever is telling the truth at the end of the day, that's that's going to come out, at least to a large extent. We may never know exactly what was said. You know, we're not going to get a verbatim transcript. But I think that, you know, in the end, the truth will win out. And that's why I'm confident that Bernie Sanders, in the end, will emerge on top, in spite of this sad attempt by Elizabeth Warren to smear him. So I know that there are a lot of progressives that feel really demoralized that Elizabeth Warren, who is their second or third choice in this race, 
has decided to smear Bernie Sanders, go on the negative three weeks before Iowa. I get that that's disappointing, but I wanted to remind everyone what's at stake here and who is our true target, because this is the way that I view the situation. Even though it's demoralizing and frustrating, albeit unsurprising, the main target is still Joe Biden, because we cannot allow this distraction to take away from what Joe Biden should be dealing with right now. He should be defending his record. It shouldn't be Bernie Sanders. He's the one who should be defending his record because he is a weak candidate with a horrible record who would absolutely lose to Donald Trump. Now, the reason why I think the focus needs to be on Joe Biden and why we can't get distracted by Elizabeth Warren's shenanigans is because he still is the frontrunner. So when you look at aggregate polling data, according to Real Clear Politics polling averages, he is still in the lead nationally, and he is 8.5 points ahead of Bernie Sanders Overall, now going to early primary states like Iowa and New Hampshire, believe it or not, even though Bernie Sanders came out on top of a poll from the Des Moines Register, well, Joe Biden is climbing in Iowa and him and Bernie Sanders are statistically tied. Joe Biden on average is polling higher than Bernie Sanders. He's at 20.7 and Bernie Sanders is at 20.3. So this is incredibly close and I don't want there to be another situation where they essentially tie in Iowa like they did in 2016. I want Bernie to win outright. Now, when you look at New Hampshire, all of a sudden, Joe Biden seems to be surging, for lack of a better word. It actually pains me to say that. But when you look at his numbers, he's been on the rise, and he is now in the lead overall. He's sitting at 23.3 to Bernie's 22.3. So he's a whole point ahead of Bernie Sanders. This isn't a huge lead. But regardless, when you take into account the fact that Joe Biden is also pulling ahead in Nevada and he has a huge lead in South Carolina, we can't afford to take our eye off the prize currently. Because if Joe Biden wins Iowa and New Hampshire, there's a very, very good chance he wins this whole thing. He becomes the nominee. And then if that happens, we all know what to expect. Uh, Donald Trump is probably going to get four more years because I can't see a situation where Joe Biden excites enough people to get out the vote. So this is what's at stake here. Losing to Donald Trump. If we allow Elizabeth Warren to distract us when we should be going after Joe Biden, then we are doing the establishment's work for them. Because Elizabeth Warren is not going to win this nomination. Odds are she is not going to emerge victorious in early primary states, and she's probably not going to win. I mean, that's what the polling indicates currently. Now, that could change, but at this point in time, she's not doing well, and she's getting desperate. You can tell she knows that she's not doing well. So we need to focus on Joe Biden, and we all have to drive that point home to anyone that we know, our relatives. If they support Joe Biden, we have to let them know this individual not just has a horrible record, but he's going to lose if he faces off against Donald Trump in 2020. So we need to stop that from happening and acknowledge that there are going to be distractions from the media and Elizabeth Warren, but we have to stay focused and not get bogged down by that, right? It's difficult, and I get bogged down by it myself, admittedly, but we have to realize that Joe Biden is still the number one target because he's stronger than a lot of us anticipated. He has that support, and a lot of it is based on the fact that voters just, you know, they're nostalgic for the Obama years, he has the most name recognition, and they believe that he's the most electable against Donald Trump. We have to educate them.
And we have to make sure that we do everything we can to stop Joe Biden, because like it or not, he's still in the lead. He's still a front runner. And we have to make sure we deny him victories in Iowa and New Hampshire. I cannot stress this enough. If Joe Biden wins Iowa, imagine what the media narrative would be. And I don't want to catastrophize too much because I don't think that that's very healthy. But I just want to put this into perspective. We can't let Joe Biden win Iowa. We can't. We are, you know, really close to clutching victory here. Bernie Sanders can win these states, but it's not over. And we have to put in the work. We have to put our pedals to the floor and go 150%. If we were doing 100%, we've got to go 150%. Make more calls for Bernie. Knock on more doors for, for Bernie. Donate another dollar or two to Bernie Sanders. Now is the time that we all come together and we fight for Bernie and we make sure that people know about Joe Biden's horrible record because he is not out of this. Do not discount him. And, you know, never underestimate your opponent. Biden can still win. And for whatever reason, he's climbing in early primary states again after dipping. So we've got to stop that and we've got to beat Biden. Let's all try to make sure that whenever these types of things happens, we keep things in a perspective and acknowledge what our real goal should be. Right now, Elizabeth Warren, she's a non-issue. It's Joe Biden. So last year on the show, we talked about how Sherry Bustos, who's the new head of the DCCC, has decided to blacklist organizations and vendors who choose to work with progressive primary campaigns that are challenging corporate Democrats. Now, this is incredibly bad, obviously, because we need to make sure that we're not discouraging primary campaigns against corporate Democrats who are bringing down the aggregate party and their name. Uh, but regardless, Sherry Bustos was refusing to listen or back down. In fact, she doubled down and she's not going to reverse this policy. She's going to continue blacklisting progressive primary challengers. And that's incredibly disgusting, but it's predictable because the DNC and the DCCC, these organizations are corrupt and rotten to the core, and they don't want to do anything that would offend their corporate donors. Now, a number of progressives like AOC and Ro Khanna have spoken out about this to their credit, and they've condemned the DCCC, but what they've also been doing is protesting this move by not paying their dues into the DCCC. So when a candidate raises money and gets donations, usually a percentage of their overall fundraising is supposed to go towards the DCCC. But AOC has not been paying her dues. In fact, there's been reports now that she's pissing off a lot of Democrats because she is withholding her dues. In fact, she has withheld $250,000 from the DCCC. And there's been reports about this, how it's actually making people in the Democratic Party angry that they're paying their dues, but she isn't, but she's doing something that's principled. She's taking a stand against a corrupt organization, but on top of that, she's not doing this to try to hurt other Democrats because, in fact, she still is raising money for other Democrats. And she tweeted about this and responded saying, I give quite a bit to fellow Democrats. We've raised over $300,000 dollars for others more than my dues with over 50 percent going to swing states the DCCC made clear that they will blacklist any organization that helps progressive candidates like me i can choose not to fund that kind of exclusion so this move here is incredibly bold because she is basically tapping a beehive she's pissing off democratic party institutions 
that could try to hurt her in some way, shape, or form, right? They could deny money to her since she's not paying in her dues. I don't think she needs it since she even raised more than Nancy Pelosi. But on top of that, they can leak these types of articles to the press, which is what I think probably happened, where they talk about how, you know, AOC, maybe she's selfish, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, for not paying her dues. But what AOC did in return after the story kind of started to proliferate is she created her own organization to compete with the DCCC so she can still help Democrats while not simultaneously helping corrupt organizations like the DCCC. And as Daniel Morans of HuffPost reports, New York Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's new political action committee raised over $69,000 on Saturday, its first day of public fundraising, showcasing her influence amid a feud with senior House Democrats. Ocasio-Cortez's campaign, which shared in the proceeds from email and Twitter fundraising appeals for the PAC, also raked in about $100,000 on Saturday, according to official data that Ocasio-Cortez's campaign shared with HuffPost. On its own, the PAC, Courage to Change, received over 4,600 donations as of late Saturday night in amounts that averaged under $15. It's a very exciting launch, Ocasio-Cortez campaign spokesman Corbin Trent said. When I see so many people stand up and say they are ready to change not just D.C. but the country, it fills me with hope. We're paving a different path, her campaign wrote in the first fundraising email. The DCCC has been an entrenched tool in a system that blocks working-class candidates from running for office and protects out-of-touch incumbents. So this is what I'd like to call a boss move. Because she is not playing their games. She's not going to do it. They're accusing her of not paying dues. And I think the reason why this story got out is, one, they wanted to shame her. But two, they were hoping that maybe she would pay dues. Because when we see these reports about AOC even outraising individuals like Nancy Pelosi while not having to make a single call to a big donor... Well, they think that's a lot of money, and since we're all self-interested members of Congress and we also want to get elected, we would like her to pay her dues because we like that she is, uh, you know, a prolific fundraiser, and we want some of that money. But it didn't go the way that corporate Democrats had hoped, because what did she do? Well, she created her own PAC, Courage to Change, so that way she doesn't have to worry about taking money from the DCCC. She can raise money with grassroots small donors averaging $15, and that's how she's going to help other Democrats get elected, not by relying on the corrupt DCCC and corporate Democrats, not by helping other corporate Democrats who then smear her and fight against her agenda. No, she's doing it her own way, and it is already proving to be successful. This feels really good because it actually gives me hope. It gives my cynical heart just a little bit of hope because she is remaining principled and she knows, like she's told us about the pressure to conform in D.C. And here she is not only fighting against that pressure, but she is spitting in its face and telling it to go fuck itself. And I love that. I love that we can really rely on her to fight against the corrupt machine that is the DCCC. Because it tries to crush any primary challengers to corporate Democrats and they are the ones that have to go if we truly want to change the country and beat Republicans for once. So I absolutely applaud her. This is a bold move, and I'm glad that it's paying off.
literally, because we want to help Democrats get elected, but not the shitty corporate ones who aren't actually going to represent us. And by donating to this PAC, I'm glad to know that my money won't be helping to fund individuals who I believe are antithetical to the progressive movement, who are just bad for the country, who should join the Republican Party. So great move. Kudos to AOC. Um, I love this. Well, there is another debate tonight, and it will be hosted by CNN and the Des Moines Register at Drake University, and it will feature six candidates. Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Tom Steyer. Now, essentially, I have four people up on the screen behind me because those are the only individuals who actually have a chance, and who this debate is actually either going to help or hurt the most. They have the most on the line. So what I want to do is talk through what I think we can expect. Um, by the time you all are seeing this, most of you are seeing this, um, we'll just have had the entire drama between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, in large part because Elizabeth Warren most likely planted that story. So will we see that at tonight's debate. I think a question on this will certainly come up since CNN was originally the source that broke that story. Um, they're going to be hosting this debate, so you can expect a portion of time to be dedicated to that and expect to be incredibly disappointed because I don't believe that they will give Bernie Sanders a chance to explain himself and defend himself properly. Although if they do, I will stand corrected and be very happy to be wrong about that. Now, basically, Bernie Sanders is walking into a lion's den tonight. He's always a target for attacks, not just from the other candidates, but from moderators as well, usually. And now he is surging in the polls. So understand that this will probably be the most harsh debate for Bernie Sanders. He will have to defend himself. And if I were Bernie Sanders, the way that I think I would proceed is I wouldn't go on the offensive as much. I would simply make my case, but whenever I am attacked, and he will be attacked, you know, it's inevitable at this point, rebut with a counterattack. So if Elizabeth Warren attacks you, attack her back and say, well, she doesn't go far enough. She doesn't want to cancel medical debt. If Joe Biden attacks you for saying that Medicare for all is too expensive, then you attack him for saying that he didn't find a way to pay for the Iraq war that he voted for. So Bernie Sanders, what he should be able to demonstrate is that he cannot just withstand the attacks, but he can counterattack, and he needs to prove to voters that he will be strong against Donald Trump. And that means also calling out the media's most likely biased questions that they will pose to him specifically, right? He needs to basically make this a masterclass in debating Donald Trump and prove that he's strong against the other candidates and therefore will be strong against Donald Trump in a general who is already attacking Bernie Sanders. And he's demonstrating a lot of strength amid these attacks from Donald Trump. There's an article from BuzzFeed News that states Trump is kind of fixating on Bernie Sanders. So Bernie has handled those all great. He needs to do that here. Take the gloves off, be absolutely brutal with the counterattacks, but don't go out of your way to attack another candidate on stage because when you're starting to get into the lead you really just have to maintain right but he's going to be attacked but he's got to hit back really hard really fast and be able to concisely re rebuke you know these attacks that are lobbed at him inevitably so so if i am joe biden he's got to have a phenomenal showing he really is at an iffy standing. He has kind of pulled ahead in early primary st states. Him and Bernie Sanders are basically statistically tied in Iowa and New Hampshire. So Joe Biden has got to prove 
that he is the front runner. He can't have too many brain farts. He can't be weak. He can't be the subject of everyone else's attacks. He has got to come out on top of this debate if he really wants a shot because this is the last debate before Iowa. So he's got to make a strong case for himself. Will that happen? I don't know. Most of his debate performances have been incredibly poor. That last debate, I think he actually did a good job, namely because he didn't really talk that much, right? But if he is talking a lot more, I think that that is time for him to demonstrate why he's not really suited for this. So all I know is it's do or die right now. Joe Biden, he can't just, you know, uh, fade into the background. He's got to have a strong showing. If I'm Elizabeth Warren, my task exclusively, basically my only task is to win back progressives. She has pissed off all of Bernie Sanders supporters by going negative against Bernie Sanders while trying to disingenuously frame herself as the victim of Bernie's attacks. No, we see right through you, Elizabeth Warren. You need to win back Bernie Sanders supporters. So give us context. Clarify the situation. Defend Bernie Sanders. If you truly believe that what Bernie Sanders said to you in that closed-door meeting was meant to be sexist, then also call out Joe Biden for the same thing. He said the same thing. He recently said that he wouldn't be subject to the sexist attacks as women. So he's basically boasting about how I'm a man and I'm stronger against Trump. Call him out. Be consistent. Don't just make it seem like you're trying to siphon away progressive voters from Bernie Sanders for, you know, your your uh, benefit, right? Now, not only does Elizabeth Warren need to win back progressives, but she has got to be incredibly aggressive. She's got to hit Biden and she's got to hit him hard. Because what she did, this attack on Bernie Sanders, I don't think it is going to help her, but I do think it's going to help Biden. You know, when both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren go at it, Biden will benefit from that, right? So she's got to make up for what she did now and attack Biden, attack Buttigieg, but not attack Bernie Sanders. She needs to avoid that because as she learned, when you attack someone who's a progressive, we don't take you seriously. We don't view you as part of our movement. And she's claimed that she's progressive. Now she's been inching closer and closer, you know, towards the center throughout the course of this primary. Nonetheless, if you truly are serious about uniting both wings of the party, you need to make it up to us at this debate. You need to attack Biden and Buttigieg. Be the attack dog for Bernie Sanders after what you did. Now, Pete Buttigieg, if I were him, I'm pulling out all the stops because he needs to have a damn good night. He is no longer surging. He's no longer viewed universally as the front runner, according to mainstream media. His poll numbers are sinking. He needs to have a good night. This is basically his last chance to make an impression on voters before Iowa. If he doesn't perform well in Iowa, odds are he's not going to have the momentum needed to carry him throughout the rest of the primary, and it may be donezo for him. So he needs to make sure he brings out all the big guns. He needs to understand that he is competing for that centrist space with Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is overall the front runner, more so than Bernie currently. So if I am Pete Buttigieg, I'm going to pull an Elizabeth Warren, and I'm going to attack the person ideologically who's closest to me in hopes of siphoning off his voters. So Pete Buttigieg needs to make an aggressive case against Joe Biden that he is the one who centrists should unite behind if they truly want to beat Donald Trump and they think that a centrist can beat Trump. Now, I don't think that a centrist will win against Trump, but if I'm uh, Pete Buttigieg, a self-interested opportunist, that's the case that I'm going to make. Now, when it comes to Amy Klobuchar and Tom Steyer, they're hanging on for dear life at this point. Each of these debates, 
uh, Amy Klobuchar in particular has gotten a lot of talk time, a disproportionate amount of talk time relative to where she stands in the polls, right? So I don't even know what she can possibly accomplish. After that last debate, there are a lot of pundits like Chris Eliza that said she won big, zero effect in the polls. Um, you see her ticking up in early primary states, but by and large, she's not doing well in spite of the fact that the media is desperately trying to push her into that front-runner status as Pete Buttigieg slips. So she has to do something different this time. She just she can't keep up with the same strategy, right? She's got to actually come to the table with policy solutions and not just shit on progressive policy solutions because every time she shows up to these debates, she basically just says what we can't do. So now it's time for her to put up or shut up. Tell us what we can do, what she is offering, what is her vision because we know what isn't her vision. She doesn't believe in progressivism. She doesn't want Medicare for all. Okay, great. So tell us what you support now. Make your case. When it comes to Tom Steyer, I don't really believe that there's anything he can do. He barely qualified for this debate. He's hanging on for dear life. So best case scenario for him, he talks enough to where that increases his name recognition and he qualifies for the February debate. But at that point, will it really matter? Uh, I don't think there's really anything he can do. He's just lucky he made it on to that debate stage. But it's time for him to seriously think about wrapping this up because he has spent millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and it's not helping him at all. In fact, Mike Bloomberg jumped in and is admittedly outraising him but already outpolling him as well. So Tom Steyer, I mean, I don't know really why he's here. He shouldn't be included in this debate, one, because he's a billionaire, and two, because he has no shot at the nomination. There was one poll that seemed like an outlier where he came up at 15% in South Carolina. Well, unless there's other polls that also show those same results, I have to assume that poll is an outlier because of how bad he's doing nationally. He's not really catching on. Nobody's talking about him. Even the mainstream media has largely ignored him in favor of the other billionaire, Mike Bloomberg. So this is basically about him qualifying for the next debate, even though that won't help him as well. So that's it. Um, I'm not sure how long this debate will be. I'm assuming two to three hours long. I hope that we get a debate like the last debate where Bernie Sanders takes the gloves off and is more aggressive. I'm assuming he will be aggressive in the event he is attacked. I don't expect him to go on the offensive, but I do want him and hope that he defends himself, right? Because you can't just allow all of these candidates to attack you from different angles. You're going to possibly have Elizabeth Warren attacking him from uh, what she hopes is the left. You're going to have people attacking him for the, from the right. So he has really got to make the case for himself. And for Bernie Sanders, this is about proving that he just took on, you know, all these five candidates and he handled them with ease, Watch what he's going to do to Donald Trump. If he can take on all five people at once, then he can definitely take on Donald Trump. That's basically what Bernie Sanders needs to communicate. But we will wait and see, and you can look forward to my full debate analysis after the debate. I will post it um, the morning after, so definitely look forward to that, as well as some clips you know, where I talk about the uh, highlights. So we'll wait and see, but hopefully this debate will be good for Bernie Sanders, because now it is make or break. So, uh, worst debate ever? Worst debate ever. Um, let me tell you, I am exhausted after watching that debate. It was only a little over two hours, but I feel like it was ten, 10 hours long. Um, I knew that it would be brutal. I knew that Bernie Sanders was basically walking into a lion's den. But I think that definitively, what this demonstrates more than anything is that CNN is incapable of hosting a debate.
And just in the same way that the DNC blacklisted Fox News, they need to also do that to CNN and not allow them to host any debates going forward, because whenever they host a debate, it turns out to be a train wreck. CNN is not news. They are an entertainment channel that doesn't care about delivering the news and informing viewers. They care about ratings. So it's time that the DNC treats them as such and not allow them to host these debates. This was the worst debate. If it wasn't the worst, it was one of the worst. But I mean, it was pretty bad. So we'll talk about why I think this debate was bad and my overall takeaway as to who were the winners and losers. But first, let's talk about some general statistics. So when it comes to overall talk time, Elizabeth Warren got the most time to speak with 18 minutes, 59 seconds. Bernie Sanders came in second with 17 minutes, 51 seconds. Amy Klobuchar came in third with 17 minutes, 36 seconds. Pete Buttigieg came in fourth with 16 minutes, 45 seconds. Joe Biden came in fifth with 16 minutes, 22 seconds. And Tom Steyer came in last, a distant last, with 12 minutes, 37 seconds, which I believe is even too much time than he deserves given that he bought his way onto the debate stage. Going to the amount of new Twitter followers that each candidate gained throughout the course of the debate, Bernie Sanders had the most with almost 3,000 new followers. Amy Klobuchar came in second with more than 1,500. Tom Steyer came in third with 1,160. Pete Buttigieg came in fourth with 1,116. Elizabeth Warren with 1,054. And Joe Biden with the least. And when you look at relative growth, Tom Steyer gained the most, Amy Klobuchar came in second, Pete Buttigieg in third, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren tied for fourth, and we have Joe Biden in last place with the least amount of new Twitter followers gained and the lowest number in terms of relative growth. Okay, so let's get to CNN. So if it wasn't incredibly obvious to you, let me break it down and what they were trying to do. They desperately wanted to instigate a fight between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, they started this yesterday, and this was namely because Elizabeth Warren had decided to probably leak their private conversation so she can smear Bernie Sanders as a sexist, and Bernie Sanders, or and CNN, excuse me, ran with this, and it was obvious whose side they had chosen. Look at the lower thirds here. These graphics demonstrate who they chose to support. Question. Warren supports a new trade deal with Mexico and Canada. Why is Sanders' opposition to it wrong? Sanders' proposals would double federal spending over a decade. How will he avoid bankrupting the country? Does Sanders owe voters an explanation of how much his healthcare plan will cost them and the country? And on top of that, getting to the portion with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they ask Bernie Sanders, did you say that you don't think a woman can win? Bernie Sanders says, no, I never said that. The moderator immediately asks Elizabeth Warren why she thinks Bernie Sanders said that. Watch. Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? <laughs> so Bernie Sanders had to deal with media bias. And on top of that, Bernie Sanders was getting attacked, as I predicted, from, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren, as well as from the centrists. If we're going to not put Elizabeth Warren in that same camp, um, I think she's more pro-establishment center left. But nonetheless, I digress. Bernie Sanders 
had to defend himself. Um, he is now becoming the front runner, and it was incumbent on him to demonstrate to voters that he is strong enough and capable to take on Donald Trump. Did he get it done? Let's stick a pin in that, because I want to talk about overall who I believe were the winners and losers. Now, typically what I do, before I get to the winners, I break it down into three categories. I have my winners, my losers, and people in the, meh, they did okay category. So, for the first time ever... I do not have anyone that I am placing in the winner category. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mike, Bernie Sanders did great. Yes, he did. But I was looking for something very specific. And, well, I'll talk about that when we get to Bernie Sanders. So, in terms of the two individuals who I believe are in the okay category, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden is in this category because he didn't really have to defend himself. He wasn't attacked, and he's still the front runner, so that should have been everyone's focus, and he got away basically scot-free. Certainly, Bernie Sanders did a good job at holding his feet to the fire when it comes to the Iraq war, right? But Joe Biden had some assistance from CNN to bring up, oh, well, you decided to vote for the Afghanistan war. Okay, I think that that's fair. But I mean, when we're talking overall, who has the foresight to not get us into these never-ending wars? Clearly, it's Bernie Sanders. And I think that Bernie Sanders made a good case for himself and a case against Joe Biden. But with that being said, Joe Biden just was not tested as a frontrunner should be. And because of that, I don't think anyone did enough to drive down his support going into Iowa. Does this mean that Joe Biden will win Iowa? Um, not necessarily. I don't believe that this debate will improve his standing. I don't think it's going to hurt him at all, though, as well. So I think he'll continue to slowly but surely decline nationally overall. But over the last couple of days... He's gotten a little bit of a bump in Iowa and New Hampshire to the point where he's now leading overall in Iowa and New Hampshire. Understand, he was down, but now he's up and leading overall. So what I'm saying is the reason why he's not a loser but also not a winner is because he just really sailed through and maintained, right? Now, when it comes to Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, I think, performed phenomenally well as he usually does i think he had the strongest performance of the night by far he's the only person who gives me hope if he's not the nominee then i have absolutely no hopes that we're going to beat donald trump um now i hope that i'm wrong about that but i think that the situation is currently looking really grim trump is stronger than a lot of people expected um and bernie's the only person who i think can take on donald trump However, Bernie Sanders, I think that what he did here was he just maintained. He didn't have a blowout performance in the way that he had a blowout performance in December. And what I was looking for from Bernie is for him to just go ham on everyone else. When they attack him, call them out. Go scorched earth. Now is the time to do that. And you don't necessarily have to go on the offensive, but when you are attacked, then you've got a counterpunch. And Bernie did that to a degree. Not good enough. What he did was not sufficient. It's not going to hurt him. This debate really won't affect him. And that's my problem. I wanted him to get a boost, and maybe he still will. I hope he will. I'm crossing my fingers. But, for example, when it comes to healthcare, we have the same conversation about healthcare every single debate medicare for all versus a public option 
And Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, they say the same thing. And Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren usually say the same thing. Although this time, notice how Elizabeth Warren did not mention Medicare for All because she doesn't support it. She is explicitly equivocating on this issue. Nonetheless, we see the same debate play out every single time on healthcare. We're not going to progress on this issue any further unless Bernie Sanders calls out the reasoning for why his opponents don't support Medicare for All. They're all swimming in cash from pharmaceutical industries and private health insurance companies. If he called out their donors, he would win that debate by a mile and a half. Now, I'm not worried about Bernie here because a new poll just came out. I can't remember who uh, conducted the poll, but it showed that voters trust Bernie Sanders the most on the issue of health care. And I believe he's 10 points above Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. So he's already functionally, I think, done enough. And I think he's persuaded enough voters. I think he's won this debate, right? However, in terms of just watching this performance, basically moderators didn't allow the person who wrote the bill to talk about his bill and they let everyone else argue and explain why Bernie Sanders isn't uh, right here and why Medicare for All is horrible. Amy Klobuchar called it a pipe dream. I mean, what are, what are you proposing, Amy? You have no vision for America. You're going to lose to Trump. You're not even going to be the nominee. So who are you to say that Medicare for All is a pipe dream? Your presidential campaign, your pros the prospect of you becoming president is a pipe dream. So it's just, I, I'm tired of seeing the same debate transpire. What Bernie should have done was introduce a new argument. My opponents are taking money from the health insurance industry. That's why they're using Republican Party talking points, period. And he would have won that portion. In terms of other aspects of the debate, I think that he did a great job. But what I really wanted to see was for him to call out the bias in moderation. If he rejected the premise of their questions, when that person asked him if he would bankrupt the country or whatever, how are you going to stop your policies from bankrupting the country? And, you know, if he would have called out the bias of the corporate media, I think he would have came off as a lot stronger and someone who can definitely take on Donald Trump. So don't get me wrong. I think he had the best performance, but... I wanted more than for him to just maintain. I wanted him to really substantially grow his lead at a time when we need to do that. And I think that he wasn't aggressive enough, period. Um, again, he didn't necessarily have to be very aggressive because he's, you know, becoming the front runner. He's kind of moving into that status. But we can't take any chances with Joe Biden. And Joe Biden is gaining in early primary states. And I'm sorry, Bernie just needed to be more aggressive. And we didn't get that from him. And it pains me to say it, but... Um, Fair is fair. He had a great performance. Not good enough, in my opinion. He refuses to even counterattack in a substantial way. I was sur surprised that he did at the last debate when he called out Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden's billionaire donors. That was phenomenal, and it didn't hurt him. It only helped him. Now is not the time to play it safe when so much is on the line. Again, don't want to detract from his performance. He's He had a great performance. I'll have a video where I have all of my favorite Bernie moments from this debate, highlights from him. However, I just, I wanted him to have such a good performance that the media can't deny it. And I just, I don't think he did enough. So moving on, when it comes to the losers, by far and away the biggest loser here, in spite of what corporate media is saying, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren does not realize what she did. She essentially burnt that bridge between her and progressives for the last time. And she's talking about unity. I mean, she really has the gall to bring up unity 
after she chose to leak a divisive story where she basically lies about Bernie Sanders. I mean, she's lied about her Native American heritage. She's lied about her dad being a janitor. She's lied about things that are so inconsequential that I don't know why you would lie about them. What's the point of lying? Just to lie? I mean, I, I don't get it. So what she needed to do was basically try to make amends with Bernie Sanders so, you know, she would have more progressive support. So she'd at least be the second choice of Bernie Sanders supporters. But I think she just solidified the fact that there's only one choice for progressives. It's Bernie Sanders. And rather than trying to, in a good faith, you know, attempt at talking policy, engage with Bernie Sanders and say, look, let's put all that behind us. She doubled down on this pseudo woke. Well, you know, women are stronger in politics. Great. But Bernie Sanders agrees with you. There are women from Justice Democrats, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, who have been inspired by Bernie Sanders and not you. And she's ignoring the fact that it was progressives, progressive women, namely progressive women of color, who carried Democrats to victory in the 2018 midterms election. So it's not just about, oh, woman good, because that's not necessarily true. I wouldn't vote for Sarah Palin or Carly Fiorina just because they're women. Policy is what matters and elizabeth warren has always been this individual who you know promotes herself as a wonk and i love when she did that because it shows that she cares about substance but here she chose to take a different path she's pursuing the hillary clinton path i'm a woman i'll be the first woman president vote for me over bernie sanders that's how she thinks she can siphon off votes for bernie sanders but i'm sorry you backed away from medicare for all you're done once you do that you're done so she needed to show us that She's still somewhat progressive. She didn't even mention Medicare for all. In fact, if I had to check, I don't think she, she said that one time, even during the healthcare debate. The words Medicare for all did not come out of her mouth. She's the biggest loser. And what she is probably going to realize is that this little shenanigans that she pulled over the weekend, um, it's not going to help her at all. It's only helping Joe Biden and hurting progressives collectively. So shame on her for not only having a poor performance, but just overall being a shameful fake friend. That's all I'll say um, about her. Moving on to Tom Steyer. One thing that bothers me about him, well, two things that bother me about him is uh, he's a billionaire who bought his way onto the debate stage. And also, whenever he talks, he says, what? Or white and i don't know what it is i think maybe it's just because i don't like him because he's a billionaire who's buying his way onto the stage and hurting democracy but that irritates me and nothing that he ever says is meaningful and whenever he talks he looks into the camera it's so rehearsed it's fake this individual is a phony he is a phony he's not serious about climate change and he always tries to make it seem as if he is better than the other candidates i'm the only person calling for term limits i'm the only person who's saying i will declare a climate emergency on day one nothing you are saying is landing nobody believes that you are the climate change candidate you're a billionaire hedge fund manager so i don't know why you're here i hope he doesn't qualify for that next debate because that is not a voice that we need okay people to judge I think he was a loser here because he did nothing. He needed a breakout performance tonight. He needed to basically show to everyone that he's ready. He's capable of taking on Donald Trump. And he just had a fake performance as he usually does. He wasn't attacked, but at the same time, he didn't go on the offensive, which he needed to. He needed to take on Biden and he didn't. 
Not a great performance. Overall, very boring, milk toast. He's not going to benefit from this. Amy Klobuchar. This was probably the worst of all of her performances when you take into account all the times, like the past three debates where the media was relentless in trying to prop her up and shameless, really, in trying to prop her up. Um, she did not have a good night at all. And um, I just, I don't know why she still thinks she has a shot. The media is desperately doing everything they can. Endless propaganda for her. And what she's putting out, voters aren't picking up. Nobody trusts that she is going to be a change candidate. But I will say this about Amy Klobuchar. She did make a phenomenal point that really demonstrates how Elizabeth Warren is hurting the progressive movement. So during the healthcare exchange, um, Amy Klobuchar, she did lie because she's bankrolled by the industry. She said that Medicare for All would kick 180 million people off of their current plans. That is an outright lie that was fed to Republicans by the industry, and now she's using it. So I hope that she you know, feels good about herself using that disgusting lie to, you know, um, prop up the pro-death status quo. Nonetheless, what she said is, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, that Elizabeth Warren pivoted away from Medicare for All and that must lend credence to the claim that, you know, centrists are right about Medicare for All. Maybe it's not more feasible. Maybe a public option is a better route to pursue. And that's a really powerful point that hurts proponents of Medicare for All, Right. Because Elizabeth Warren's weakness here, if she claims to be a representative of the Medicare for All movement, then like it or not, she is advocating on our behalf, even if she's not the best representative. But what Amy Klobuchar said there was essentially, look, you pivoted away from Medicare for All, so you're proving me right. And Amy Klobuchar has a point. She has a point, unfortunately. But that was the only strong line of the night. There were no other times where... I think she made a solid point. She didn't take on Pete Buttigieg, so there was really no like moment that the media would focus on. And even CNN's post-debate analysis, I watched briefly, and they said this wasn't really a great night for her. So if your biggest fans are saying you didn't have a good night, you didn't have a good night, it's time to wrap it up. You're not going to win. Um, so really, if I were Amy Klobuchar, I would be trying to do what I can to maneuver my way into the future administration of a centrist, right? So talk with Biden about maybe being the VP. Talk with Buttigieg about maybe being the VP, although he should be talking with her about being VP as much as she should be talking to him about that. Nonetheless, I don't think that Amy Klobuchar did enough. I think that overall, not a great night. So let me get to some of the moments that I want to discuss. The uh, foreign policy discussion was incredibly disheartening. Um, because unsurprisingly, CNN framed every question in a very right-wing way. They made it seem as if, you know, Iran getting a nuclear weapon was some sort of imminent threat. And they're not an imminent threat to us. If they were to get a nuclear weapon, we all know that they're getting that to deter U.S. aggression. Now, ideally, the correct answer to all of this, even Bernie didn't have it with regard to this issue, um, is not that we should stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. It's that every single country collectively and simultaneously needs to denuclearize we'll all get rid of our nuclear weapons at the same time because guess what if we want to live on this planet then we shouldn't have these apocalyptic bombs that can end the fucking world i mean this is something that people need to bring up nuclear proliferation is a threat to our species it's arguably as big of a threat as climate change is because we have 
these nuclear weapons on a hair trigger. We have an unhinged buffoon who can, at a moment's notice, initiate a nuclear strike on whatever country, who would then retaliate, and we're looking at possibly the end of the world. I mean, why are we not talking about the end of nuclear weapons? That should be the discussion. So whenever nuclear weapons are brought up, that should be at the front of the discussion. And even Bernie Sanders, I'm glad that they all talked about the nuclear deal, but him saying, well, I don't think Iran should pursue a nuclear weapon. That's not what we should be focusing on. Nobody should have a nuclear weapon. That includes Iran. That includes North Korea. That includes the United States of America. Harsh truth, but it needs to be said. Um, Joe Biden, he basically confirmed that he is incredibly hawkish. And in spite of him admitting that he was wrong about the Iraq war, well, on that debate stage, what you saw was a display of hawkishness. He really is going for this tough guy persona, right? He wouldn't meet with North Korea without preconditions. Um, on top of that, he would leave American troops in Iraq. So in other words, he's in favor of never-ending wars, as is Pete Buttigieg. And um, if we vote for Joe Biden, then nothing will change when it comes to foreign policy. The mere difference of not worrying about war with Iran will be nice. But in terms of the foreign policy establishment, understand that the military industrial complex is not going to suffer if Joe Biden becomes president. They will still be thriving. We will not cut defense spending. And the only thing that I like that Elizabeth Warren said was that, you know, we should cut defense spending. But overall, I think that Bernie Sanders dominated that portion of the debate because he's the only person who has the track record of being against all these disgusting and reckless wars. He brought up Vietnam, he brought up Iraq, and I think he did a really good job there. When it comes to trade, Bernie Sanders once again proved why he is the best to take on Donald Trump because he is laser-focused on the issues that affect workers. And Elizabeth Warren... I don't know what she's thinking. She's supporting Trump's trade deal, right? So imagine going up on a debate stage. You're automatically giving Donald Trump the upper hand in this. He's going to say, well, you support my trade deal. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren. You should vote for me, right? Um, and sure, there are some minor improvements, but what Bernie Sanders, like the point that he made about climate change was so powerful. There was not very much discussion about climate change, but Bernie Sanders brought it into the conversation and the moderators didn't want him to talk about climate change. They tried to move him away from climate change when he, you know, was talking about how the issue of climate change intersects with the issue of trade. But he explained how, no, this is an issue related to climate change because this plan that Donald Trump is trying to sign that my colleagues are supporting, it doesn't take into account the environment. And on top of that, he basically made a phenomenal point about how this is a bill that is, you know, derivative of the interests of the industry. So we need people to come to the table, environmental groups, right? Normal Americans to come to the table and actually hash out a trade deal that isn't going to be a monumental fucking disaster for American workers and the planet. Now, I think that the best moment of the night by far was when Bernie Sanders was asked about democratic socialism. It was predictable. You know, the CNN host was trying to smear him here. Um, by asking this question, but Bernie Sanders handled, handled that absolutely flawlessly. So on a debate stage against Donald Trump, I am not worried at all that that democratic socialist label is going to hurt Bernie Sanders because he describes it beautifully. He talks about what democratic socialism means to him, but then he also describes Donald Trump as a socialist, albeit one for the rich. That is such a powerful line 
to use. Like, there's no other rebuttal that will be as powerful to this socialist smear that Donald Trump will inevitably trot out if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. And I think it's a great, great line that voters need to see on a general election stage. We've seen fear-mongering about socialism while simultaneously, you know, the tax burden be shifted from the working and middle class um, or from elites onto the middle and working class. And it's preposterous. We have a country where functionally we are pro-socialist only for rich people. And Bernie is the only person that points that out. So um, on top of that, they're fear-mongering about socialism and how most voters don't like that label. But Bernie Sanders, in spite of that label, is the most popular senator in America. Seven out of ten young people are cool with the socialist candidate. And let me remind you, the key to Democrats' success in 2020, that is going to be getting out the votes of young people. We're going to make or break this election regardless if we come out to vote or not. We're going to be the ultimate deciders here, right? Because we can't win unless lots of people get out and vote. So that socialist label is going to help Bernie more than I think it'll be a hindrance at this point. Um, now, there is the spat between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. That, I think, deserves its own segment. So we'll come back to that in a different video. Look out for that. Um, but by and large, I, this debate as I stated at the beginning of the segment, was just so exhausting and demoralizing. And coming away from this debate, I really, really felt discouraged. Not necessarily because I felt like Bernie Sanders performed so poorly that it will hurt him, but because, like, the ability to actually get change kind of falls on the shoulders of one politician. Bernie Sanders. Nobody else is going to facilitate change. And just watching all of these candidates perform... Donald Trump's going to win. He's going to win. And I think he'll win relatively easily. I don't think that he'll win the popular vote, but he may. I mean, after seeing this, Donald Trump should be very, very encouraged right now. If anyone but Bernie is the nominee, I just, I can't see a situation where Trump doesn't win. I can't. I'm sorry. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but Trump has a great chance of being reelected in spite of what the polls say right now. Now, if Bernie's the nominee, I feel a lot more at ease with our chances. It's still not going to be a cakewalk. I think that it's going to be tough to beat Donald Trump, but Bernie is our best bet because nobody else is going to excite the base. Like, after watching centrists tell us that we can't have college that's free at the point of service, that we can't have healthcare that's free at the point of service, and, you know, call things that we've been advocating for goals of the Democratic Party for decades, pipe dreams... Trump's going to win. That's the takeaway from this debate. So unless Bernie Sanders is the nominee, good luck. So we have approached that time in the primary process where we're all feeling exhausted. And quite frankly, like just myself, at least, I can't stand anyone who's running for president with the exception of course of bernie sanders he was the only person on that debate stage who i can tolerate listening to for extended periods of time even if i know exactly what he's going to say because i've seen many of his speeches and he 
largely says the same thing. But I wanted to share highlights from the debate, my favorite Bernie moments. There were a lot of moments that uh, Bernie Sanders had that I think were phenomenal, but I chose to select these clips because I think it demonstrates exactly why he is the most electable going up against Donald Trump. Because whatever argument Donald Trump wants to use against Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders can undercut it and make a case against Donald Trump. So the first issue is trade. Donald Trump was incredibly popular because of his populist position when it comes to trade. He spoke out against NAFTA and the TPP, and he blasted Hillary Clinton for that. So he now constructed a new trade deal that Bernie Sanders opposes. And Bernie Sanders explained in a very simplistic way why Trump's trade deal does basically the same thing, even though there's some minor improvements. You know, it's, it doesn't go far enough and we can do better. And the way that he explains this, like, I don't think Donald Trump will be able to recover from this, you know, in the event they're debating the issue of trade. Take a look. The answer is we could do much better than a Trump-led uh, trade deal. Uh, this deal, and I think the proponents of it acknowledge, will result in the continuation of the loss of hundreds of thousands of good-paying jobs as a result of outsourcing. The heart and soul of our disaster trade agreements, and I'm the guy who voted against NAFTA and against permanent normal trade relations with China, is that we have forced American workers to compete against people in Mexico, in China, elsewhere, who earn starvation wages, a dollar or two dollars an hour. Second of all, every major environmental organization has said no to this new trade agreement because it does not even have the phrase climate change in it. And given the fact that climate change is right now the greatest threat facing this planet, I will not vote for a trade agreement that does not incorporate very, very strong principles to significantly lower fossil fuel emissions uh, in the world. But Senator Sanders, to be clear, the AFL-CIO supports this deal. Are you unwilling to compromise? The AFL-CIO does, the machinist union does not, and every environmental organization in this country, uh, including the Sunrise organization, who's supporting, who was supporting my candidacy, opposes it. Now, I think it was so important to bring up how the issue of trade and climate change intersects and after he did that the moderator scolded him because she believed that he was getting off topic it's a climate change but i'd like to stay on trade senator well, warren they are the same so i mean that was really embarrassing if i'm a moderator i'm cringing watching that back because you just demonstrated to the world how ignorant you are and this is so crucial because it's a key difference between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, which average consumers need to see. They need to understand what the differences are between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. She supports Donald Trump's trade deal. Bernie Sanders does not. One of the main reasons why he rejects it is because it doesn't mention climate change. So it proves to people that he takes climate change more seriously than Elizabeth Warren, even though I believe she probably takes it seriously. Bernie is the one who is unapologetic in his advocacy that we do something about it. So, um... Also, I think that the fact that he opposes it makes him stronger in a general against Donald Trump. Because as I stated in my big debate breakdown video, the long one that I put out, you know, Trump is going to say, well, look, 
you are supporting my trade deal, Elizabeth Warren, so why don't you just endorse me? Now, that's not to say that you should be a hack and reject everything that Donald Trump does, but there's actually progressive, substantive reasons to reject this trade deal. It's not good enough. I mean, you're getting NAFTA 2.0 with some minor tweaks, but also some things that are perhaps worse than NAFTA, arguably. So you need to make your case to the American people why it's bad. And Bernie Sanders, I think, did a great job at doing that. Now, moving on to the next issue, since we're talking about climate change, Bernie Sanders, out of everyone on that stage, communicates, in spite of all of Tom Steyer's thumb pointing, that he's the only person who has a plan that will save the planet. Let's be clear. If we as a nation do not transform our energy system away from fossil fuel, not by 2050, not by 2040, but unless we lead the world right now, not easy stuff, the planet we are leaving our kids will be uninhabitable and unhealthy. We are seeing Australia burning. We saw California burning. The drought here in Iowa is going to make it harder for farmers to produce the food that we need. This is, of course, a national crisis. I've introduced legislation to indicate it's a national crisis. We have got to take on the fossil fuel industry and all of their lies and tell them that their short-term profits are not more important than the future of this planet. That's what the Green New Deal does. That's what my legislation does, and that is what we have. So I'm not sure why the audio cut out towards the end, but he said that is what we need to do. Um, so, I mean, he really, he can't be more clear than that. He is the climate change candidate. This is why the Sunrise Movement endorsed him, and this is why he has the highest score um, from Greenpeace. It's because he takes climate change incredibly seriously. He's the only candidate on that stage who I trust is actually going to take this issue seriously right he's not going to compromise he's going to make sure that we have a planet to live on and if he fails i know he's going to go down swinging fighting as hard as he possibly can but also taking executive action to make sure we're doing everything in our power to combat climate change even if you know congress won't act um and he implied that everyone else on that stage they don't take the issue serious enough and they they have plans that don't go far enough and if we don't enact bernie's version of the green new deal we're not going to have a planet that's habitable. It's as simple as that. So Tom Steyer can talk about how I'm the only person on this stage who has committed to declaring a climate emergency on day one. That is meaningless. Declaring it an emergency is not as good as actually treating it as an emergency with a policy solution. And Bernie Sanders has already said he would declare it as an emergency. I believe he introduced legislation with AOC to declare climate change a national emergency. So you're not actually scoring any points over on Bernie by saying that because you have a plan that's not as good as Bernie Sanders, demonstrably so, right? This is what organizations like Greenpeace has has, uh, has said about all of the plans after scoring them. So you're a bullshitter, Tom Steyer, and Bernie Sanders just, I think he, he dominated the debate on the issue of climate change and he brought it up even when the issue wasn't what they were all debating like he's serious about this it's at the top of his mind and i truly believe he's the one we need if we want a chance at saving the planet now an issue came up and i didn't really think that the other candidates did poorly uh they were talking about universal child care and i have no issue with joe biden's response i believe he signaled support for it uh elizabeth warren talked about this but here's the thing none of 
what they say matters because I don't believe they're going to implement it. I don't believe they're going to prioritize it. I believe Bernie Sanders when he says we should have universal childcare. And it's not just because, you know, he signals support for this policy, but because he takes the extra time to explain why it's absurd that we don't already have that, why our priorities are ass backwards in this country. We're spending more than the next eight countries combined on the military budget, most of which are our allies. He didn't say this. I'm saying that, but it's true. And how is it that we live in the richest country in the world, but parents can't afford to send their children to daycare and preschool? It's it's just absurd. So the way that he explains it, I mean, he goes further than all of the candidates just understanding the way our system is fundamentally broken. Take a look. Every psychologist in the world knows zero through four are the most important years of human life, intellectually and emotionally. And yet our current childcare system is an embarrassment it is unaffordable. Childcare workers are making wages lower than McDonald's workers. We need to fundamentally change priorities in America. We should not be one of the few countries that does not have universal, high-quality, affordable childcare. We should not be one of the only major countries not to guarantee health care to all people as a human right. We should not be spending ten, more than the 10 next countries on the military hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, tax breaks for billionaires, and then tell the moms and dads in this country, Thank we cannot you, have high-quality, affordable Biden, I'm child care. To you now. That is wrong. Of course he was cut off. Of course. No substance is allowed. What do you think this is, a debate? So frustrating. Now, um, moving on, he was asked the most egregious and I think offensive question out of all the debates we've seen thus far, he was asked how all of his policies, you know, if he enacts all of them, assuming he's that successful, how he would avoid bankrupting the country. That is downright offensive because I don't remember a Republican being asked about how they can avoid bankrupting the countries with their endless fucking advocacy for wars. You're not going to ask Joe Biden how he can avoid bankrupting the country by staying in Iraq indefinitely. Why is it that Bernie Sanders is being asked this question? The media focuses on the cost only when policies help people, but if they are hurting people and literally killing people abroad, they don't care about the cost at all. Nobody asked how much a war with Iran would cost last week. So this question is downright egregious, and that moderator who asked it should be downright embarrassed that she asked that question that her bosses probably wanted her to ask, but you should be embarrassed. Is this what you wanted to do? Is this why you got into journalism? I'm assuming you came into this field wanting to speak truth to power, but now look at you. You are a stenographer to people in power. Shameful. Disgusting. Nonetheless, though, putting that rant aside, Bernie Sanders always gets asked these questions that are so ridiculous. And he never lets it affect him. Like me, I would get pissed. You would be able to visibly see my anger. But Bernie never is affected by this. He just lets it roll off his shoulders. And he answered flawlessly given the absurdity of that question and the way that it was framed. Let us be clear what Medicare for All does. It ends all premiums. It ends all copayments. It ends the absurdity of deductibles. It ends out-of-pocket expenses. It takes on the pharmaceutical industry which in some cases charges us 10 times more for the same prescription drugs sold abroad as sold here. What we will do through a Medicare for All single-payer program is substantially lower the cost 
of health care for employers and workers because we end the $100 billion a year that the healthcare industry makes and the $500 billion a year we spend in administrative, uh, not, the administrative nightmare of dealing with thousands of separate insurance plans. Healthcare is a human right. Every other major country on earth is guaranteeing healthcare for all. The time is long overdue for us to do. I genuinely believe that Bernie Sanders is getting much better at explaining the way that Medicare for All will impact people at an individual concrete level. Like he is nailing it here. My only complaint is that he needs to be more aggressive in calling out the corruption of his opponents. That's why they don't support Medicare for All. Pete Buttigieg initially supported it, but now he's in favor of Medicare for All. It's not because he genuinely believes that that's the better policy. It's because he's taking money from health insurance industries. So I'm looking for that aggression from Bernie Sanders here. Um, but regardless, Bernie Sanders still manages to attack his opponents while not being rude and hostile. And one particular moment when they were talking about foreign policy, he nailed Joe Biden for being naive and believing George W. Bush. And this short, I think it's 18 second clip, it just is, it's so brutal. Like you have to see this, take a look. Joe and I listened to what Dick Cheney and George Bush and Rumsfeld had to say. I thought they were lying. I didn't believe them for a moment. I took to the floor. I did everything I could to prevent that war. Joe saw it differently. That was brutal. That was absolutely brutal because it communicates to people that Joe Biden was duped by George W. Bush. And he is already signaling to us that he is as naive now as he was back then. He thinks that Republicans will all of a sudden have this coming to Jesus moment once Trump is out of office and that even Mitch McConnell may have an epiphany once Trump leaves and suddenly work with Democrats. I mean, this is the man who was part of the Obama administration. He had a Supreme Court justice stolen from him by Mitch McConnell and he's still naive. So that was brutal and devastating. And Bernie Sanders has a way of communicating how bad the other candidates are without being overly aggressive and rude. I just wish that he would ramp it up a little bit and contrast more with candidates if he doesn't want to outright be aggressive. Now, at this point in time, we're going to wrap up this video. Usually, I would leave you with the closing statements, but I actually didn't think that Bernie's closing statement was the best moment of the night. Don't get me wrong. I liked it. I think he did a great job. But as David Dole pointed out on Twitter, I think that he would have been better served if he spent that time um, making the case for his electability and explaining how the other candidates on that stage are less electable because they are incapable of exciting the base in the way that he is. Um, but what I do want to leave you with is my personal favorite moment of the night because it shows how in a debate against Donald Trump in a general election, he is incredibly strong. So everyone in the Democratic Party establishment and pundits are fear-mongering about how that socialist label will hurt Bernie Sanders in a head-to-head -head matchup against Donald Trump. But Bernie Sanders here was asked that question and asked, you know, does he believe that's going to hurt him? And the way that he handled this was flawless. The way he explains democratic socialism is he explains what it means to him and explains how Donald Trump is also a socialist. He's just a socialist for the rich. So I will leave you with Bernie Sanders making the case for himself and explaining how, you know, um, Trump is not going to be able to use this against him because Trump, like it or not, is a socialist.
Oh, not at all. And that is because the campaign that we are going to run will expose the fraudulency of who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is corrupt, he is a pathological liar, and he is a fraud. Now, when Trump talks about socialism, what he talks about is giving hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks and subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Donald Trump is a businessman, received $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies to build luxury housing. My democratic socialism says health care is a human right. We're going to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. We're going to make public colleges and universities tuition free. We're going to have a Green New Deal and create up to $20 million saving the planet for our children and our grandchildren. We are going to take on the greed and corruption of the pharmaceutical industry and the insurance company. This was Elizabeth Warren's worst debate. She not only didn't mention Medicare for All a single time, but um, she decided to double down on the smear of Bernie Sanders. And I don't think that this will only hurt her chances in 2020. Like, I believe this will leave a lasting mark on her legacy. That's how bad it is, because understand what she's doing. She is burning the bridge to progressives that she tried to rebuild after she abandoned us in 2016. I'll be at this time, it's much worse because she is permanently burning that bridge. You hate to see it, but um, politics is dirty. Now, um, the moment that we all expected would happen when the moderators would ask about this happened, of course, if you didn't see the debate. And it's interesting because Elizabeth Warren ultimately chose to sidestep everything. You know, she is still maintaining that Bernie Sanders claimed that a woman couldn't win. Um, but, you know, she kind of brushes it off as if it's not a very big deal. She just simply disagreed, and he's not actually sexist. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why are we talking about it? I mean, it's likely the case that you leaked it, so clearly you thought that there would be some benefit in leaking this, some implication that maybe Bernie Sanders is sexist for allegedly telling you that a woman can't win. So, I mean, clearly it is a big deal, and the fact that you're sidestepping it tells us that you want Bernie to be damaged by this. Rather than going after the real target, Joe Biden, you're choosing to throw your friend under a bus while simultaneously preaching about unity. Absolutely disgusting. And it wasn't just bad for her because of the substance. Her performance itself... It was almost cringeworthy because she face-planted because she made a statement that was really bold and then Bernie Sanders had to correct her. You're going to see what I'm talking about, so I've said enough already. Let's watch the clip and then I have quite a bit to say about it afterwards. CNN reported yesterday that, and Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. <laughs> Uh, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of, the, of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement 
to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did, I did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. <laughs> but if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So, Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, and I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. <laughs> the only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women. Amy so and true. me. So true. And the only person on this stage who has beaten an incumbent Republican any time in the past 30 years is me. And here's what I know. The real danger that we face as Democrats is picking a candidate who can't pull our party together or someone who takes for granted big parts of the Democratic constituency. We need a candidate who will excite all parts of the Democratic Party, bring everyone in, and give everyone a Democrat to believe in. That's my plan, and that is why I'm going to win. Senator Klobuchar, Thanks. Senator Sanders, you can respond. Well, just to set the record straight, I defeated an incumbent Republican uh, running for Congress. When? 1990. That's how I won, beat a Republican <laughs> congressman. <laughs> Number two, of course, I, I don't think there's any debate up here. What, wasn't it 30 years ago? I beat an incumbent Republican congressman. And I said, I was the only one who's beaten an incumbent Republican in 30 years. Well, 30 years ago, <laughs> it's 1990, as a matter of fact. But I don't know that that's the major issue of the day. I think what the major issue of the day is, let's, does anybody in their right mind think that a woman cannot be elected president. That's enough. Nobody believes that. If Hillary Clinton got three million votes, more votes than Trump. So who believes that a woman can't win? Of course a woman can win. But the real question is, how do we beat Trump? And the only way we beat Trump is by a campaign of energy and excitement and a campaign that has by far the largest voter turnout in the history of this country. And I believe that our campaign has the strongest grassroots movement 
Thank we you. We have endorsed by many grassroots Senator Warren, organizations. Senator That's Warren, I want to give you the final word. So I do think it's the right question, how do we beat Trump? And here's the thing. Since Donald Trump was elected, women candidates have outperformed men candidates in competitive races. And in 2018, we took back the House, we took back state houses because of women candidates and women voters. Look, don't deny that the question is there. Back in the 1960s, people asked, could a Catholic win? Back in 2008, people asked if an African-American could win. In both times, the Democratic Party stepped up and said yes, got behind their candidate, and we changed America. That's who we are. So before we talk about this one more time, I just want to show you how brazen the moderators are in taking Elizabeth Warren's side over Bernie's here. Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? <laughs> they are utterly shameless. Now, I thought that Bernie Sanders handled this brilliantly. Um, he said, look, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and the media want precisely, but it's too late because this is what Elizabeth Warren wanted. She wanted to fight and she's got it. There are reports that um, she's telling her supporters to de-escalate, but I mean, it's a little late for that, don't you think? You brought it this far. You could have attacked Joe Biden, but instead you chose to go after Bernie Sanders. Good job. Um, he also brilliantly brought up how he advocated for Warren to run back in 2016. We all remember this. He did not want to run for president. Nobody believes that he wants to be doing this right now. He tried to get Warren to run. We were all part of this nerdy draft Warren movement, myself included. But she didn't want to challenge Hillary Clinton. She was too afraid to challenge the establishment. So Bernie stepped up. Why would Bernie be dumb enough to not only tell his opponent that he doesn't think a woman can win, but also draft someone in 2016 or try to draft them when he thinks a woman can't win. The entire notion that he would say this is absurd on its face. So, I mean, Bernie handled this, this um, as well as I think he could have, but Elizabeth Warren then said, look, I disagreed with him, Bernie is my friend, and I'm not here to try to fight with Bernie. Well, that's kind of what you're doing, and then at the end of the debate, when you refuse to shake his hand, I mean, is there really um, much of a friendship there left after you threw your friend under a bus, your closest friend on that stage? So she says, the only person on this stage who has been an incumbent Republican in the past 30 years is me. Now, this moment is going to leave a lasting mark because not only is it incorrect, but her response to learning that she's wrong was incredibly cringeworthy. And when Bernie Sanders corrected her, she looked like the meme of the lady doing math in her head. Like, it was that bad. It was just, it was utterly embarrassing for her. And, you know, Bernie Sanders corrected her. He said, no, actually, I beat a Republican 30 years ago in 1990. It's actually 29 years, technically. It's not officially 30 years yet, but I digress. But he tried to correct her, and then she still wasn't, like, believing him. I mean, I think I literally facepalmed when I was watching this play out. It was that bad for her. It was embarrassing. I mean, to be wrong and then not believe that you're wrong. Unreal. And as Owen Higgins pointed out, Elizabeth Warren was a Republican 
when Bernie Sanders beat a Republican. So I just want you to stop and think about this. Imagine Elizabeth Warren on a debate stage against Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders was being incredibly kind to her. He was handling her with kid gloves. And she still managed to embarrass herself. Bernie didn't own her. That was a self-own. He just said, look, no, actually, I did win an election against the Republican in the last 30 years. And she didn't believe him. She couldn't do the simple math, probably because she was flustered. I don't know that I could do that in the moment as well. But I mean, let it go. But she didn't. And in spite of how badly that went for her, guess what she did? She took to Twitter to brag about the, the attack that she lobbed against Bernie Sanders, not once when she tweeted out that video, but twice when she then reiterated the same sentiment. Elizabeth Warren has the worst political instincts ever. Ever. I don't know what she's trying to do, but I mean, okay, she's staking out a claim on the establishment side. Like, she tried to basically have one foot in the progressive camp and one foot in the establishment's camp. But when you take into account this attack and also the fact that she doesn't support Medicare for All anymore, she's chosen a side. It's the establishment. And this shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's been paying attention. She already chose the establishment over progressives. But nonetheless, I think that progressives believe in forgiveness. So we kind of skeptically tried to give her another chance while still supporting Bernie Sanders because maybe she would have been the VP. But after this, don't think that's going to happen. I think that she permanently damaged her reputation among progressives and what was a genuine friendship with Bernie Sanders because she was trying to be an opportunist and wanted to smear him. It's, it's honestly sad. It really is sad. Now, she says, ironically, so the real danger that we face as Democrats is picking a candidate who can't pull our party together or someone who takes for granted big parts of the Democratic constituency. Why don't you look in the mirror before saying something like that? Because you're taking for, taking for granted all of the progressives as you throw Bernie Sanders, your friend, under a bus. And she claimed the other day that Bernie Sanders, or implied that Bernie Sanders, was being divisive by attacking her, by suggesting um, that her voters are affluent and well-educated, even though that didn't come down from the campaign officially. Elizabeth Warren has no self-awareness. She has the worst political instincts ever. And I really feel like this is going to do permanent damage to her legacy. It's sad. So overall, you know, she sidestepped the entire implication that Bernie Sanders is sexist, didn't offer us any additional details about that private exchange, didn't give us any more context, didn't even, you know, entertain the possibility that maybe she perhaps possibly misconstrued what he said. She could have explained, well, you know, he said what I thought was that a woman couldn't win. I mean, we got none of that. She just sidestepped it. And then after she said that, um... Then what do the moderators do? They pivot to Amy Klobuchar. Why? You're not going to immediately give Bernie Sanders the chance to defend himself? Really? Now, finally, CNN, of course, gave Elizabeth Warren the last word here because they love Elizabeth Warren quite a bit and they were obviously trying to prop her up the most during this debate. And, you know, she talked about how female candidates have recently outperformed the male candidates. And here's the thing, she doesn't realize that she's preaching to the choir. She's assuming that 
That 2016 Bernie bro stereotype is in fact true, that we're all sexist Bernie bros and we hate women. No, you're preaching to the choir. We're all incredibly energized and inspired by all of these women across the country who are stepping up to run for Congress and challenging Republicans and beating Republicans. I've interviewed uh, more than a dozen female candidates on my show. In fact, out of the almost 30 congressional candidates I've interviewed, I think at least half of them, possibly more of them, have been women. So you're preaching to the choir. We believe in women. We are glad that so many women are running for Congress and are successful. The most popular progressives are women. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Pramila Jayapal. So the fact that you're choosing to make it seem as if we're against women by sidestepping this and just touting the benefits of women, yes, we know. But we want you to explain to us whether or not you truly believe Bernie Sanders is sexist, because that's the implication. That's certainly what it seems like she's priming us to believe. She's not directly saying that Bernie Sanders is sexist. She didn't explicitly say that, but she's priming us to believe that. She's trying to get us to think that he's sexist without saying it. So, I mean, I was uh, admittedly naive enough to maybe, maybe think there's a small chance that her and Bernie Sanders would be able to um, come together, put this aside, work out some type of solution or mutual agreement that they kind of uh, disagreed on the way that this meeting took place. I don't know, but that didn't happen, and it fanned the flames, and she made matters worse. So what else can you say about this? Elizabeth Warren, time and again, has been a colossal disappointment to progressives. She uh, refused to run in 2016 when we desperately wanted her to, when we were practically begging her to. Okay, that's her choice. But Bernie Sanders stepped up. She could have at least been there for us in the form of endorsing Bernie, helping him out in Massachusetts. She didn't. Um, We asked her to speak out on behalf of the Standing Rock protesters who were being brutalized by militarized police. She remained silent while benefiting from this lie that she's Native American for decades. And now, at a time when she should, in theory, be Bernie's biggest ally on that debate stage, she is doing him the worst. It's sad. But this is what she wanted. All right. Uh, You made your bed, Liz. Lie in it. Bridge burnt. Permanently. Well, if you've just finished watching the debate, then maybe you missed this last snippet that took place at the end where Bernie Sanders tried to shake Elizabeth Warren's hand and she denied him a handshake. Take a look. Now, if you'll notice, towards the end, she shook Pete Buttigieg's hand, but she didn't want to shake Bernie Sanders' hand. Petty. Disgusting. And she's doing this when the entire debate she preached unity, 
What a great showing of unity, Liz. Now, for those of you who are curious, yes, I will have a full post-debate breakdown on the channel tomorrow at 8 a.m. Pacific time. But for now, I just wanted to talk about this because it's something that's new and everyone is reacting to it. And I'm honestly, I'm shocked by it. Like, look at this picture from July when her and Bernie Sanders were teaming up to take on centrists like John Delaney, and now all of a sudden, Elizabeth Warren is trying her hardest to throw him under a bus and hurt him. Now, I'll have a separate video on that dispute between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, but for now, I mean, let's just really take in how disgusting this is, how low Elizabeth Warren was willing to stoop, denying Bernie Sanders a handshake. Let's watch that one more time. Now, I absolutely hope that if anyone interviews Bernie or Warren or Tom Steyer, that we get to know what they were talking about because they had an exchange that seemed heated and it looked like it didn't end well there. So I hope that we learn about what specifically they were talking about. Obviously, it was, you know, this spat that they've been having that was initiated by Elizabeth Warren because she's obviously getting desperate. But I mean, what do you say about this? What do you say about this? Elizabeth Warren is the definition of a fake friend, right? Her and Bernie Sanders had this truce to not attack each other, and all of a sudden, now when she's down in the polls, she's trying to eat into Bernie's numbers. But I don't think this is going to work. I think that this backfired. And even if the pundit class is saying that she did great during this debate, like CNN's post-debate analysis, they loved what Elizabeth Warren said by basically sidestepping all of the controversy that she created. This is not going to help Elizabeth Warren. And at a time when Joe Biden is still very much the front runner, the fact that she's focusing all of her energy on Bernie Sanders and smearing him and lying about him I mean, it goes to show you that she is not an ally to progressives. Elizabeth Warren is not your friend. And I get the feeling after watching this debate and what has transpired over the last couple of days that Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden must have formed some type of pact to not attack each other going into Iowa because maybe he offered her a VP slot. She probably sees that the writing is on the wall. She's not going to win most likely. And Joe Biden has a better shot, so maybe she just chose to form some sort of agreement. We know, according to reports, that she was in talks with Hillary Clinton to be VP. But Hillary Clinton was just dragging her along so she wouldn't endorse Bernie Sanders during the primary. And Elizabeth Warren made that miscalculation. She made this miscalculation. And I mean, how many times... Will she keep making mistakes and doing things that shows progressives that she's not with us until everyone collectively realizes that Elizabeth Warren is not who we thought she was? I mean, fool us once, shame on you. Fool us twice, shame on us. But I mean, she's been consistently spitting in our eyes and now she is attacking Bernie Sanders and directing all of her energy towards him and on national television at the end of the debate. She refused to shake his hand because she decided that he's the one that is the great threat that needs to be taken down. It's absolutely disgusting. And even though, you know, Elizabeth Warren, she betrayed my trust in 2016 when she refused to endorse Bernie. She chose Hillary over Bernie. 
you know, I, I tried to put that behind me. And at the same time, I was very skeptical about her still. Um, but this is lower than even I thought. You know, my expectations for Elizabeth Warren were relatively low. But she is even proving me wrong with how low she's willing to go. Like, it's honestly unfathomable that she, of all people, would relate to this. Like, someone who theoretically should be the only ally on that stage to Bernie Sanders, she did him the worst. She's shiving him. And she's preaching unity. Yeah. Well, if you want unity, Elizabeth Warren, if you're truly serious about uniting both wings of the party, once again, you just planted your feet firmly in the establishment's circle. You showed us again that you're not with us. You showed us that you're willing to throw your friend under a bus if it means that it might help you out, but yet you claim during this debate, hilariously so, that politics isn't everything. Yeah. You can't be trusted. Um, Elizabeth Warren doesn't realize what she just did. She has betrayed progressives for the last time. I promise you that. She has burnt this bridge permanently and as far as I'm concerned, Elizabeth Warren is, uh, she's done. Like, she is not going to get the support of progressives. Like, it's not going to happen. She can't continue to spit in our faces and then expect us to support her. I'm sorry. You already backed away from Medicare for All and abandoned progressives, but now it's like you're pouring salt in the wounds. Like, I'm sick of it. This is disgusting. Elizabeth Warren is way petty. And whenever she talks about, you know, being above the fray and we're about unity, understand that she's not serious about it. This proves it. So I really hope that this is the last time that I'll be talking about this story. The only other video that I will put up on the channel so far about this is the full episode on Monday at noon. The full episodes always center on what we've talked about the most during the week, but I mean... I don't want to address this anymore, and I'm going to force myself to move on after this if there's no more, you know, developments to this story, because I think that even though I feel hurt, it's not healthy for us to keep dwelling on this, both psychologically and also because of the impact that it has. It helps nobody but Joe Biden. And on top of that, I think that the media is also, you know, benefiting from this story, and they are desperate to try to keep it going. CNN is doing everything in its power to extend the life of this story. You have CNN reporter Annie Grayer claiming that she asked Bernie Sanders three times about this story. You have Chris Saliza insisting that we should keep asking questions, and then he even posted a video talking about the subject further, which was massively disliked, by the way, as are all of his videos. But I mean, this is the epitome of sensationalism, and I feel gross contributing to that, right? But at the same time, we're all human beings, and judging by the comments and the response from the progressive community, I mean, we're all collectively feeling hurt, so I also know that it's cathartic to see someone you watch talk about this, and it's even therapeutic for all of us to kind of voice what we're feeling currently. Although, like I said, this helps nobody but Joe Biden, and not in the way that, you know, Cory Booker on a debate stage says, look, the only one who benefits from us bickering is Donald Trump. No, this genuinely helps Joe Biden, because every moment that we're talking about this story, and not Joe Biden's atrocious record, he benefits from that. And at a time when we have so much on the line, I want to make sure that we focus on what is going to 
get us across the across that finish line and um this story certainly is not going to help us with that but i mean what elizabeth warren presumably wanted is taking place she wanted to knock bernie down a few pegs and maybe if it didn't hurt him distract all of us and it did now before i tell you my closing thoughts on this i do want to give you an update we all suspected that this was leaked by the Warren campaign, and CNN did confirm that it was, in fact, her team that leaked this story to them directly. Warren had no problem with this story yesterday. It was uh, clearly leaked by her team to CNN. It, was, it came out more than a year after the meeting. It came out on the eve of a debate. Uh, this is pretty clear. Uh, she knew about this. She, she sanctioned it. Everything around it indicates that. Why is she pumping the brakes now, indicating don't want to talk about this anymore? We're all cool. Now, remember that this was leaked weeks before the Iowa caucus. We cannot forget that context. Rather than making a case against Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, progressive, chose to kneecap her friend. Tells you everything you need to know about her as a person and where her priorities lie. Now, the story started to kind of die down once we stopped fixating on that exchange after the debate between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. CNN happened to conveniently find the backup audio. I think that they probably had it all along and they released it. And this gives us, you know, um, more context as to what was being said. And as we all suspected, they were in fact arguing. A liar on national TV. What? I think you called me a liar on national you know, TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that Anytime. discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. I, now. I don't want to get in the middle. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. Look, I have my suspicion that that whole event was staged. I think that she wanted to ambush Bernie Sanders, and there is no doubt in my mind that she knew this could have been captured because she was still mic'd. If you're still mic'd, you know that the cameras are rolling and mics are going to pick up on this. You know. So she did this on purpose. But it shows you how fake she is because during that debate, she says, look, Bernie's my friend. But then after the debate... She put on this show, which is basically political theater, confronting Bernie Sanders for calling her a liar when she called him a liar, essentially. But um, I want to go to a statement from Jane Sanders, who, of course, is Bernie Sanders' wife, because essentially her sentiment is it's time for everyone to move on. Quote, I think that this discussion is over, Jane O'Meara Sanders told the Associated Press. O'Meara Sanders said their campaign has no interest in promoting divisions like Trump does by gender, race, or ethnicity. We remain committed to continuing a progressive movement made up of women and men, black and white, gay and straight, she said. The message is unity. At the time, she described her husband as a person that everybody can trust and pushed back against Warren's accusation. Maybe people sometimes miss remember things that happened she said but i know without a doubt that it is not anything bernie would ever say it is inconceivable because it is not what he believes and there's proof of that going back to many many years i'm not attacking elizabeth warren in any way shape or form on this omera sanders continued my message is bernie is trying to bring people together so in other words they're actually preaching unity elizabeth warren is preaching unity but she's not practicing that. This is what unity looks like. They're trying to move on and get away from this story because it does nothing to help the progressive movement. Bernie Sanders is focusing on policies, winning this race, and ultimately fixing the country. This story does not help 
contribute to that effort. Now, on top of this, 18 organizations that have endorsed Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, you know, a combination of both, have come together to call on everyone to unite. This includes Justice Democrats, Our Revolution, the Sunrise Movement, Working Families Party, the PCCC, and a lot more. Now, if you want to sign their pledge, I will link to that down below. But full disclosure, I personally am choosing not to sign this pledge, and I'll tell you my reasoning towards the end of this video, but I hope that you feel differently, and I do hope that you are less burnt than I am, but we'll get to my thoughts on that. Um, another issue that made this really difficult for us is the fact that the media overall sided with Elizabeth Warren here. Everyone with the exception of Morning Joe, I think. Now, I don't necessarily believe that normal Americans believed Elizabeth Warren here, just people in my own social circles, like my mom called me, and she was incredibly outraged at what Elizabeth Warren did. She liked Elizabeth Warren, but she also liked Bernie Sanders, and my mom saw through these lies, someone who doesn't follow politics as closely as I do. So I think normal people, and this is anecdotal, of course, I think normal people see through it, but overall, the media is demonizing Bernie Sanders because even if maybe they don't believe Elizabeth Warren because she obviously lacks credibility, and David Dole released a phenomenal video talking about Bernie and Warren's credibility, watch that, definitely check that out, in fact, I'll link to that down below. Still, the fact that the media is using this to attack Bernie, it's just, it's disgusting. We're three weeks out from Iowa. We knew that they would pull out all the stops to try to get him, but the fact that the reason why they're attacking him is because of Elizabeth Warren, it's just disgusting. Now, the worst attack I have seen came from The View, and it's so bad, I'm not even going to play the clip for you because I think it's just going to make you feel depressed and further demoralized, and it's not healthy if we want to move on, but I'll summarize it for you. Basically, Meghan McCain claimed that Bernie Sanders is a misogynist and we don't need another misogynist in the White House. Um, Whoopi Goldberg scolded Bernie Sanders supporters and told us, you can't do what you did in 2016. That's wrong. You can't do that again. So, um, basically, Bernie Sanders is a piece of shit, he's a misogynist, and every single one of his supporters are bad people. So, I'm not playing that clip, but I do want to share a clip from The View with you that demonstrates the fact that they are hypocrites, rich elites who don't actually care about misogyny and sexism, because back in, uh, I think it was February, when the Lucy Flores story about Joe Biden came out, their response to it was not to condemn misogyny. They defended Joe Biden, and their take on this was, well, why didn't you just talk to Joe Biden about this? Why did she have to come out and make a big spectacle about it? What they said there proves that they're not serious about sexism. Take a look. Now, should she have spoken to him about this before she went on television about it? Or, I mean, is it, you know, listen, in the old days, we would call Joe, some folks of a certain age would say he's a little overly familiar. Yeah. Okay. But most politicians, when they're, you know, doing this with you and, you know, they are. And Joe is, Joe is a hands-on kind of guy. Yeah, he and, is. But no one, I've never heard anyone and she said she felt violated, and I, I have to 
take her at her word, but it would have been nice if she had turned him and said, you know what, Jay, I don't really like this. Please don't do this. Or, And, you know, we all know Joe Biden. He's been here. I remember when I met him in Florida before he was vice president, and he was so friendly. He, he's the close talker. Yes. He comes right up in your face and you're thinking, I hope my breath is good, you know. <laughs> and I, and it, more important, I hope his is. Yeah. And, you know, so he talks close. He touches he's you. That's what he's like. And I feel it would be really unfortunate if we got rid of everybody who was just an affectionate kind of person. We, you know, those are nice yeah. people, too. He's also been in public office for about 50 years of yeah. his life. Yeah. I, I do wonder if she could have sent him a letter. Well, that's right. Like, send him a personal note. Well, I don't want Joe to stop doing that. I don't either. You know? I'm just going to say yeah. one thing really yeah. quick. Go ahead. There's a certain kind of retail politician that loves people. I would put Bill Clinton in that category. Yeah. I would yeah. put my father in that category. I would certainly put Joe Biden in that category. Please. Joe Biden is a good, decent mm. man. I do not believe he has never made me feel uncomfortable once. I've been around him a so lot. So can we yeah. conclude that it way. will not hurt him? I hope not, but I think Democrats, what I said on Friday about Democrats cannibalizing each other and eating their own and the mm -hmm. part you brought up about politics she said on jake tapper that her politics it was politically yeah. motivated so inappropriately touching women not so big of a deal maybe she should have shut up and not you know advocated that joe biden respect her and other women's boundaries um you know no big deal bernie sanders biggest misogynist in the world so here's the thing if the view wants to keep going about this by demonizing progressives i think we play hardball Maybe they wouldn't like if progressives organized an advertiser boycott. Maybe they wouldn't like if Bernie Sanders threatened to sue them for slander because that's what they are doing. They are slandering his name, calling him a misogynist. It's just, it's downright morally reprehensible. And on top of that, it's not just Bernie Sanders who has been demonized over this entire, you know, kerfuffle. It's also his supporters, because in response to feeling hurt by what Elizabeth Warren did, well, a lot of people, namely Bernie Sanders supporters, posted snakes in reply to all of her tweets, to which Elizabeth Warren supporters and defenders claimed was sexist. Surprise, surprise, but I mean, we've been called Obama boys, we've been called sexist Bernie bros, and their accusations are meaningless and politically motivated. And you know, since we're casually throwing around accusations of bigotry, maybe it's the case that the hosts of The View and people in media and Warren supporters are anti-Semitic. I don't know. It seems like they target the Jewish man more so than the non-Jewish man, Joe Biden. Why is Bernie Sanders always your target? Do you have something against Jewish politicians? I mean, if we're just casually throwing around these types of bigoted accusations, do you see how easy it is for us to rebut with our own accusations and claims of bigotry? So getting to my own personal take, um, I want to give you my closing thoughts, as well as, you know, the prospect of unity and the plea from those 18 progressive organizations to unify. And let me be 100% honest with you. Oftentimes, I do feel the need to self-censor when it comes to my feelings on issues, because when you have a really large platform, you have to understand that you have an impact on politics in a really substantial way. Like, I'm not saying that my platform is so huge that I have a reach to change the outcome of the election, but what I'm saying is, you know, if I am super toxic, I don't want that toxicity to proliferate and affect people in politics. So I try to self-censor, uh, but I do want to be honest with you guys. I think that honesty is important, and I do want to give you my genuine feelings here, because 
I think it's healthy, given that everyone else probably feels the same way. In terms of the prospect of uniting with Elizabeth Warren and why I won't be signing that pledge, it's because this is my thoughts right now. There will be no unity with Elizabeth Warren. She has a progressive record, but I don't view her as a progressive any longer. And I stopped viewing her that way once she chose to back away from Medicare for All. Because if you are a multi-millionaire who doesn't care that poor people will die if they don't have health care, you're not a progressive. And maybe, you know, she believes in it personally, but she just is too afraid to fight. Well, then put your own political ambitions aside and endorse the person who will fight for it, who built a movement to get this codified into law. I don't feel like unifying with Elizabeth Warren when she has made it clear time and again she does not care about the progressive movement at all. Her feet are firmly planted in the establishment's camp. She showed us that when she shunned us when we wanted her to run for president. She showed us that when she refused to endorse Bernie in 2016. She showed us that when she wouldn't speak out on behalf of the Standing Rock protesters who were being brutalized by militarized police. And she showed us that again when she shivved Bernie. And that's if we even wanted to forgive her for running against him. When you saw how he built up a progressive movement that would accomplish all of the goals that you ostensibly support, why not just endorse him when you knew he was going to run again? Why would you run against him and possibly divide the movement when you know that everyone coalesced around him and would again if he was going to run? So maybe you genuinely are progressive personally, Elizabeth Warren, but I'm sorry, you don't help the progressive movement. You do not help the progressive movement. Everything you've done so far has been to hurt the progressive movement. Everything you have done politically. You are no friend to us, you're a fake friend, and you just showed everyone that you were willing to throw Bernie Sanders under a bus because maybe it would help you. Or maybe you can get a slot in... Uh, Joe Biden's administration, maybe he promised you VP, and I know people think that that's out of the question because they're so ideologically different, but back in December, Joe Biden said, I'm definitely open to the idea of making Elizabeth Warren, you know, my VP. Take a look. Okay, so the, here's a mulligan. Would you like to add Senator Warren to your list? I'd add Senator Warren list. I'd add all, you know, but she's going to be very angry my having said that. She, the question is, would she add me to her list, you know? So it's not out of the question. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren endorsed Hillary Clinton, and they were in talks of her getting a VP position. Now, of course, Hillary Clinton was using her, but still, Elizabeth Warren makes political calculations that will help her own career, and on top of that, she lacks political courage. She has demonstrated this time and again, and she doesn't believe in what we believe in, right? She may say it, she may pay our ideals lip service, but if you truly care above all about getting progressive policies implemented, she could prove it right now by telling everyone to coalesce behind Bernie Sanders and endorsing him. She knows she's not going to win this, right? And maybe she can still do that if she loses Iowa or New Hampshire and she drops out and endorses Bernie Sanders. Maybe she can still prove me wrong, but I am not hopeful at all. And so when I hear this prospect of, oh, let's all come together and unify and unite, unite with what? We don't have to unite with someone who has given us the middle finger time and again. It's an abusive relationship. And I'm sorry, but maybe Elizabeth Warren 
genuinely feels hurt because she thinks Bernie Sanders said that to her. I don't believe he did. Possibly she's misconstruing what he said. But she, at the debate, tried to make it seem like, look, we just disagreed. It's not that big of a deal. But she knows it's a big deal potentially because of the implications. Otherwise, she wouldn't have leaked this conversation to CNN of all places. You could have leaked it to any other news outlet, but you chose to leak it to one of the worst an entertainment channel who you knew would run away with it and hurt the collective progressive movement, hurt Bernie, and then just leave the door wide open for Joe Biden. So I hope that people feel inclined to sign that petition. I hope people feel more encouraged about the prospect of unification with Elizabeth Warren than I do. And I genuinely hope that me expressing my true feelings don't make you feel down or more cynical about the process because times like this it it does feel really difficult to feel optimistic but we do have a lot of reasons to be optimistic right so i don't want my feelings of negativity to impact you in any way and if you feel that you know elizabeth warren supporters and bernie sanders supporters should come together and unite great for you i don't feel that way right now I'm feeling like I never, ever want to hear from Elizabeth Warren again, and I'm done with Elizabeth Warren. I do not trust her at all, and it was really naive of me to trust her after what she did in 2016, but you know, I donated to her to get her on the debate stage in 2020 because I was of the belief that the more progressives in the race, the better, because hopefully we can just shift the entire conversation to the left. I was wrong. There's one candidate in this race who actually is going to give us a chance at implementing progressive policies. And it's not Elizabeth Warren. She's hurting that cause. It's Bernie Sanders. So I'm not really sure what else to say. Like a lot of people, I'm feeling deeply hurt. Elizabeth Warren is a snake. And I've been burned by her for the very last time. I'm fucking done with Elizabeth Warren. I don't believe she actually cares about progressive policies today she just voted for trump's trade deal even chuck schumer came out against it kamala harris voted against it bernie sanders voted against it she was never one of us sherrod brown was never one of us everyone in power at least the senators they don't care about getting progressive policies codified into law they're not with us we are going at this alone and the one ally we have in the Senate, who's running for president is Bernie Sanders. And I think that this week should make that crystal clear. So rather than feeling anger and upset, try to do what you can to channel your emotions. It's what I tried to do. So when I was really angry with Elizabeth Warren, I donated an extra 10 bucks to Bernie Sanders. And I'm already donating 27 per month. So don't accuse me of being a cheapskate. Um, you know, it, it made me want to go and fight even harder for him. And I truly believe in all of you that you feel the same way. And I don't even have to tell you this. You already know. You've made more phone calls for Bernie. You've knocked on more doors for Bernie Sanders. We can win this. This is discouraging. And those feelings of isolation, feeling like you have no allies in 2016, have likely returned to you. But understand, none of that will matter if we win this. If we win this, all of these feelings now are meaningless so i'm done talking about this hopefully there's no new developments so i don't feel inclined to talk to talk about this and i'll leave that there like everyone i'm hurt 
But the writing was on the wall. We knew Elizabeth Warren was a fake friend. We should have listened to our gut instinct rather than trying to give her a second chance when we knew this was possible. So basically, this primary at this point in time looks like it's coming down to Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden. And we have a very difficult task of trying to flip some Joe Biden supporters. Now, primarily, I think that the best argument to convince them to come over to Bernie Sanders' side, assuming that policy isn't their number one priority, is electability. Because a lot of voters are indicating that they're voting for Joe Biden because they think he's the best bet to beat Donald Trump. So we have to make sure that we convince them that Bernie is the most electable. But another thing that we have to focus on is the fact of the reality that Joe Biden supporters disproportionately are older and Bernie supporters are mostly younger. So there's that generational gap. But we have to tell everyone who supports Joe Biden, any older voter that we know personally, that this is an individual who isn't just going to lose to Donald Trump because he's less electable, but he poses a direct threat to their livelihood. Yes, their livelihood if they depend on Social Security. Because for the last 40 years, as early as 1984 and as recently as 2018, Joe Biden has been advocating for a cut in Social Security. And this was pointed out by a phenomenal article in The Intercept by Ryan Grimm. Now, I'm not going to read the article, but I'm going to show you video clips straight from the horse's mouth where Joe Biden says, I'm down to cut Social Security. Because if you show this to older people and they know how important Social Security is, then this could potentially persuade them. Because I have parents who depend on Social Security. And if that were cut, it would be devastating. And I know that a lot of people who are living off of that know how devastating that will be. So if Social Security is something that's important to them, and it should be important to everyone, but people benefiting from it now especially know, then this is how we can possibly persuade people that Joe Biden is not the candidate for them. Take a look. When I introduced the budget freeze years ago, the liberals of my party said, it's an awful thing you're doing, Joe. You are all the programs we care about. You're freezing them. Money for the blind, the disabled, education, and so on. And my argument then is the one I make now, which is the strongest, most compelling reason to be for this, but this amendment or an amendment. And that is that if we don't do that, all the things I care most about are going to be gone. I mean, whatever happened to that old conservative discipline about paying for what you spend? I'm up for re-election this year, and I'm going to remind everybody what I did at home, which is going to cost me politically. I, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans benefits. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice. I tried it a third time and I tried it a fourth time. Somebody has to tell me in here how we're going to do this hard work without dealing with any of those. I introduced the balanced budget amendment in 1984. It got nowhere. I'm one of those Democrats who voted for the constitutional amendment to balance the budget. I have introduced on four occasions, four occasions, entire plans to balance the budget, knowing I'm not president and I'm not the leader but for illustrative purposes. I tried with Senator Grassley back in the 80s to freeze all government spending. 
including Social Security, including everything. The American people know we have to fix Social Security. They know we can't grow our way to a solution. They know we're going to have to make some tough decisions. They're ready to make these decisions. They're ready to step up. We have to be ready to straightforwardly tell them what we're about to do. As I go around the country like other candidates, whether I'm in Oxford, Mississippi, or Bangor, Maine, it doesn't matter. The one criticism our party gets from Democrats is we tend to be too timid. It's almost like we're afraid to tell the American people the unvarnished truth. Well, folks, folks, they're waiting for the truth. Now, in that first clip where the audio cut out towards the end, that happens whenever I download videos from Twitter for some reason, he called Social Security a sacred cow when he was talking about cutting it. And it's a sacred cow because whenever politicians try to cut it, um, there's a lot of backlash, right? But he's basically saying, look, I'm brave enough to go after this sacred cow. I mean, Bill Clinton tried to privatize it. George W. Bush tried to partially privatize it. And in 2008, you heard him use the code words. He said, we need to fix Social Security. Now, politicians use what is known as doublespeak, where they say something, but they say it in a really disingenuous way, right? So rather than just saying explicitly, I think we should cut Social Security, he'll use a code word, like we need to adjust or fix Social Security. And Republicans say the same exact thing, but that is code for let's cut Social Security. Now, they like to concern troll about the longevity of this program, and look, they'll say, I just want to fix it so that way it's there for other generations. But Social Security, contrary to popular belief, is not going insolvent. It's going to be there for generations to come, and the only tweak that we should be making is lifting the cap on taxable income, which is exactly what Bernie Sanders wants to do, and Bernie Sanders has affirmed that he will be protecting Social Security. Now, you saw that clip. That last part uh, was from 2008, when Joe Biden was the uh, running mate of Barack Obama, and he hinted that we should fix, i.e. cut Social Security. Now, what actually happened? Barack Obama, after pledging to protect Social Security, tried to cut Social Security. But can you guess who stopped him from doing that? It was Bernie Sanders, who mobilized a coalition to stop him from doing just that. And I will link you to the Fantastic Intercept article by Zaid Jelani where he talks about this. He goes into detail. And Joe Biden is from that administration, the administration that tried to cut Social Security. And Bernie Sanders is the guy who stopped him from doing that. He saved it. Now, I want to play one more clip for you because... You could say, well, look, that video was from 2008, and that's all water under the bridge. But what are Joe Biden's current feelings? He's saying that we shouldn't do that, right? Wrong. In 2018, there is a video of him discussing that Paul Ryan was correct, that, you know, we should cut Social Security. Now, Joe Biden's people will dispute the context of that and say, well, look, he wasn't saying explicitly that he agrees with Paul Ryan that we should cut Social Security, but he agrees that Paul Ryan would have to cut Social Security to pay for Donald Trump's tax cuts. But even if we interpret this video in the most charitable way possible, look out because there's still code words in there, such as fix and adjust, that tell us what Joe Biden is actually thinking. The latest tax cut. Once again, those at the very top get the biggest breaks. And what, we, what do we have to show for it? 
Even our Republican friends are now beginning to admit there's no evidence these, these, these tax cuts are being put to work in the economy. No new growth, just more debt. And that puts middle-class programs that they rely on and they've worked for at real risk. Paul Ryan was correct. When he did the tax code, what's the first thing he decided we had to go after? Social Security and Medicare. Now, we need to do something about Social Security and Medicare. That's the only way you can find room to pay for it. I don't know a whole lot of people in the top one-tenth of one percent or the top one percent are relying on Social Security when they retire. I don't know a lot of them. Maybe you guys do. Do we need a pro-growth progressive tax code that treats workers as job creators as well, not just investors, that gets rid of unprotective loopholes like stepped-up basis, and it raises enough revenue to make sure that the Social Security and Medicare can stay, still needs adjustments, but can stay, and pay for the things we all acknowledge will grow the country. So can you trust him? Even if we interpret that video in the most charitable way, he still talks about the need to adjust Social Security. What do you mean by that? Why are you being so vague? Well, it's intentional. Now, the last thing that I will leave you with is consider this. Joe Biden, on multiple occasions, has talked about his willingness to work with Republicans. In fact, he's enthusiastic about it. He loves Republicans. So if someone is repeatedly saying and has a history of saying that we need to cut and or fix Social Security and he's going to work with Republicans who are salivating over the idea of cutting Social Security, do you honestly believe that Joe Biden is trustworthy on this issue? No. And understand that when you have someone who is explicitly, like Bernie Sanders, saying, I will protect Social Security, I won't cut it, and on top of that, he has a history of challenging even Democratic administrations who try to cut Social Security, this is your livelihood. You depend on this. Imagine you not getting that cost of living adjustment and you get a cut. How would that impact your life if you didn't get that cost of living adjustment for just two years? When you're already struggling, assuming you live on Social Security. Do you understand? If you vote for Joe Biden and you live and rely on Social Security, you're rolling the dice with your livelihood, whereas there is a safe choice in Bernie Sanders. Now again, you may reluctantly support Joe Biden because you're thinking he's more electable. You're making a grave mistake here. We were all told by the establishment and the media that Hillary Clinton was more electable in 2016. She lost to Donald Trump because it was an anti-establishment election. Trump ran as a populist, and if you don't think he's going to run as a populist again, you're horribly mistaken. So if the only person who is authentic, who's real, who can undercut that pseudo-populist appeal of Donald Trump is the person who's actually looking out for you, who genuinely believes in protecting and expanding Social Security. Because you shouldn't be struggling when you paid into this program. You should be able to live a life where you don't have to go to food banks on top of getting Social Security. Where you don't have to scrounge for pennies to buy 
that last loaf of bread or gallon of milk. You shouldn't have to do that. We're the richest country in the world. So anyone who's talking about cutting Social Security in any capacity, they're immoral people because we can afford to expand Social Security, not only protect it, but expand it. Because ask yourself this, when we are spending, what, more than 50% of our discretionary budget, which overall accounts for two-thirds of our total budget, on the military, why should you not have more money in your pocket every single month from this program that you paid into? Do you understand? We have to expand Social Security by lifting the cap on taxable income. And that's it. You solve the problem. No more fear-mongering from Republicans about the uh, program going bankrupt. That's gone. So this is the argument that we all need to be making to anyone in our family who's older that supports Joe Biden. I think that on the policy, we're just not going to get them to agree with us. But on this issue, an issue that's personal to them, we can convince them that it's in their own self-interest to back Bernie over Biden if they truly care about protecting Social Security. We've got to make that case and we've got to make it loudly and proudly because Iowa is taking place very soon and this is the last ditch effort to swing people over to our side. And I think that this is one argument, one tool in our arsenal that we've got to use. All right, now for some good news. <laughs> Because in spite of the shenanigans that Elizabeth Warren pulled this week, Bernie Sanders still managed to have a fantastic week. And I think that part of this actually does have to do with Elizabeth Warren's smear, because after that first debate, Bernie Sanders managed to raise $4 million in just two days, with a total of 200 contributions, 25,000 new donors, and on top of that, a new poll found that he's actually doing the best against Donald Trump in Florida. Currently, he's closing the gap in Nevada. A Reuters-Ipsos poll found that he's closing the gap nationally between him and Joe Biden. He's just endorsed by progressive representative Mark Pocan, as well as the Clark County Black Caucus in Nevada. And as of right now, understand that he has the best chance of winning. We don't necessarily know how Elizabeth Warren's drama is going to impact his chances, but as of now, we have no reason to be down. And someone who I typically don't respect at all, Chris Matthews of MSNBC, you've got to give him credit because even he admits Bernie does, in fact, have the best shot. And I want to play that clip for you because this is someone who is no fan of Bernie Sanders. In fact, he's indicated multiple times that he hates Bernie Sanders. But he admits in this clip, Bernie's the one to beat in Iowa. Take a look. Up next, why Bernie Sanders is the candidate to beat, I think, in Iowa and New Hampshire. I've watched it. I was out there last night. I think I know what's going on out there. It may not be what you want, but I think it's what's going to happen. Bernie out there. You're watching Hardball. Six candidates took the stage last night for the seventh Democratic debate. And let me leave you with my assessment of why Bernie Sanders is the candidate to beat in Iowa. One, his strong anti-war position. He was against the war in Vietnam. He was against the Iraq war. He's anti-war in his bones. And again, last night, he let the world know it. 
Two, I checked the numbers. Two-thirds of the Democratic Iowa caucus voters in 2016 called themselves liberal or very liberal. Bernie swept those very liberal caucus goers in 2016 and should do it again in 2020. And this explains why Elizabeth Warren is battling with Bernie. She's trying to get the very votes that he has gotten before. Between the two of them, it's a zero-sum battle. Joe Biden, who is contending for that one third of the caucus goers who call themselves moderate or conservatives, can't match Bernie's potential. The arithmetic is simply not there. He's battling with Buttigieg and Klobuchar for that third of the vote. So bet on Bernie in Iowa. Bet on Bernie in Iowa. It feels really good to hear an MSNBC host say that. And this may be unprecedented because I don't think these words have ever come out of my mouth throughout the history of the Humanist Report. But good job, Chris Matthews. <laughs> and look, I'm not commending him because he's confirming my bias and telling me what I want to hear. I'm commending him for his objectivity because that is what we look for in journalists. Like for me, even though you all know what my biases are, you know that I support Bernie Sanders, I still go out of my way to be objective, right? Because the truth matters, the objective truth matters. So even if I'm supporting Bernie Sanders, I admit that the worst person in the race, Joe Biden, is his biggest competition with a solid shot at the nomination. So we have to admit what is objectively true, and you just got to give an MSNBC host credit for that, knowing that you know, there could be this bandwagon effect and just admitting that Bernie could win or is the best bet in Iowa, you know, could influence your viewers to support him. Credit where it's due. That's all I'll say. Now, in terms of his arithmetic, um, it's really interesting. I think he makes a really solid case as to why Bernie Sanders will win. And we'll talk a little bit more about numbers in a second here. But he claims that Bernie Sanders has the progressive vote on lock. That vote will not go to Elizabeth Warren. Whereas Joe Biden is competing with Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg in that centrist space. And that's interesting. But I will say that Amy Klobuchar, all of her supporters, assuming that she doesn't reach 15%, are going to have to coalesce behind, I'm assuming, Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg. I can't imagine that they would support Bernie Sanders and even Elizabeth Warren. Um, but... I will say this, as much as we shit on Pete Buttigieg because he's a terrible human being and probably a sociopath, even though I shouldn't psychoanalyze and I can't confirm that, but he's just, he's not great. <laughs> um, without him, I think that Joe Biden would be coasting through this nomination because you have a huge chunk of that centrist vote being taken from Joe Biden by Pete Buttigieg. And without Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden would probably be a lot stronger. But I do want to look at overall public opinion polls when it comes to the state of Iowa, because Joe Biden currently overall is narrowly in the lead. It's within, you know, less than one point. Of course, that's the margin of error. They are statistically tied and it could go either way. Joe Biden could still win. But I do believe that Bernie Sanders has a good shot because the Des Moines Register poll is one that I really do trust and a lot of people trust, hence why people in mainstream media were freaking out once that poll was released and MSNBC actually questioned its legitimacy in a segment. I'm not joking about that, by the way. I think that either uh, David Dole or David Pakman, one of the Davids covered that. Um, so check that out. I'm blanking. I, I apologize to both of them. But um, look, when MSNBC has that level of cognitive dissonance when they're trying to question the merits of a poll openly that is well-respected, you know they're freaking out. So aggregate polling data 
basically says it's anyone's game between Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Pete Buttigieg, with Elizabeth Warren not too far behind Buttigieg, but nonetheless not as close as everyone else. Um, but let me tell you this. So back in 2016, aggregate polling data showed that Hillary Clinton had four points on Bernie Sanders, but guess what happened? Bernie Sanders overperformed the polls, and he ended up outperforming so much that she only beat him by 0.2%. Aggregate polling now shows that they're neck and neck. And if he outperforms the polls again, if he truly did execute his strategy of bringing new voters in the, into the process, then I think that it's not unreasonable to assume that he will once again outperform the polls. And remember that back in 2016, Hillary Clinton had no other centrist that she was competing for that space with. Joe Biden does have to compete with Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg for that centrist space. And seeing that progressives have coalesced around Bernie Sanders, you know, he may have to compete with Elizabeth Warren for that space, but I don't think he'll be competing as much for that progressive space as Joe Biden will be competing for that centrist space. So let me just tell you this. We can win this. We absolutely can win this. And I always worry that when I say that, a lot of people will take away, oh, well, that means I can just sit back. And I know that you guys are smarter than that. But a lot of people, it's just, it's really easy to become complacent, right? Especially when you have your own issues to deal with. But understand that whenever I tell you Bernie Sanders is doing better, he becomes more vulnerable. We've all seen that play out this week, right? With the Des Moines Register poll and all of a sudden he's getting these attacks from his biggest ally in the field. It's going to get even dirtier possibly. We have to be prepared for absolutely anything. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst in terms of the attacks. So whenever he does better, we have to push harder because the establishment it's not going to just let him walk to the nomination. They're going to fight him with everything they got. We got a little bit of a taste of that this week with Elizabeth Warren's bullshit. So um, I'll leave that there. We have a shot at this. We just have to push that much harder. So last week, we talked about how Donald Trump slowly but surely is beginning to turn his attention towards Bernie Sanders. He sent out two emails about Bernie Sanders two days in a row because he's getting afraid since Bernie Sanders is surging. In fact, on Twitter, Trump even acknowledged that Bernie Sanders is surging, asking, what does this all mean? To which Bernie Sanders responded, it means you're going to lose. Boss move. Bernie Sanders is the king. <laughs> you've got to love that response and you've got to love Bernie Sanders' confidence. Now, since Bernie Sanders has been surging, there are reports that Trump increasingly is becoming more and more fixated on Bernie Sanders, and we got confirmation that it was, in fact, because he fears Bernie Sanders, and there are reports indicating that he's secretly obsessed with Bernie Sanders' popularity and is afraid to run against socialism because of its simplistic appeal. And I mean, yeah, student debt cancellation is something that you really can't run against, right? Hence why Donald Trump has been attacking Bernie Sanders, because he doesn't want to run against Bernie Sanders. He says he'd love to make the 2020 election a referendum on socialism, but secretly he knows 
He doesn't really want to do that, especially when you consider the fact that Bernie Sanders has a powerful counter-argument to that. Yeah, I'm a democratic socialist, but Trump is a socialist for the rich. I mean, Bernie Sanders has the strongest case against him. And this is good news for us. As Trump increases his attacks on Bernie Sanders, we should all be thankful. Because if people start to understand why Trump is attacking Bernie, knowing that he's afraid of Bernie Sanders, then Joe Biden's electability argument is gone. It goes away. And if Democratic Party primary voters are truly voting based on electability and they know that Donald Trump is afraid of Bernie Sanders, we could even peel off some of Joe Biden's supporters who are reluctant to support Bernie Sanders based on policy but are willing to acquiesce because they just want to defeat Donald Trump. Now, Bernie Sanders is capitalizing on Donald Trump's fear, and he released a five-minute video where he basically just taunted uh, Donald Trump, and he gave us a preview of the argument that he would make against Donald Trump in a general election, and I want to play this for you because it is strong, it's powerful, and it's not like he's saying anything new. Like, I've heard him make this case, but knowing that we're so close to victory, knowing that he could be making this case on a national stage in a debate with Trump. It really just, something clicked with me. Holy shit. Bernie can beat Donald Trump and just beat his ass. Crazy Bernie. In case you haven't noticed, Donald Trump, yep, Donald Trump is now paying attention to our campaign. In fact, in the last few days, he and his Republican apparatchiks have been attacking us over and over and over again. In other words, the most dangerous president in modern American history is getting a little nervous. And you know what? He should be getting very nervous because after we win the Democratic nomination, we are going to beat him and we're going to beat him badly. And let me tell you how we're going to do that. By telling the truth. And the truth is that Trump is not just the pathological liar, and it's not just that he's running the most corrupt administration in the modern history of our country, or that he is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, and a religious bigot. That's true, but that's only half the story. The other half of the story is that he is a total 100% fraud. In 2016, Trump told the working people of this country that he was going to stand with them against the establishment. Remember that? He was going to take on the establishment. What a joke. Trump told everybody that he was going to provide health care for everyone. And then, as president, shock of all shocks, he attempted to throw 32 million Americans off the health care that they have. During his campaign, Trump told the American people that his tax plan would protect the working class of this country and not the wealthy. But the legislation he pushed as president over a 10-year period gives 83% of the benefits to the top 1%, and in fact will raise taxes for millions of middle-class families. During his campaign, Trump told the American people that he was a different type of Republican. Remember that? He was not McConnell. Uh, he was not your average Republican. And he 
as president would not cut Medicaid, he wouldn't cut Medicare, he wouldn't cut Social Security. And yet, the last two budgets that he produced called for massive cuts, massive cuts to Medicaid, Medicare, and billions in cuts to the Social Security Disability Fund. In other words, once again, told the American people one thing as a candidate, did something very different as president. Donald Trump, during his campaign, told the American people that he would drain the swamp. Remember that? He was going to drain the swamp. And yet his administration has brought in more billionaires than any administration in American history. They're all over the place. But it goes even further than that. As everybody knows, Trump has been demonizing the undocumented people in this country for years. Every day he attacks the undocumented as he tries to divide our country up. And yet this very same person, Donald Trump, who is so opposed to the undocumented people in our country, oh my God, how terrible they all are. This same Donald Trump hired hundreds of undocumented workers at his various resorts and other enterprises around the country as a private businessman. And President Trump, who tells us how deeply concerned he is about the outsourcing of good-paying jobs in America, has, during his business career, manufactured his products, Trump-line products, in China, in Mexico, in Turkey, and in Bangladesh, where he hires low-wage workers. In other words, we have in Donald Trump a person who says one thing during his campaign and does something very, very different as president. We will defeat Donald Trump because while he is trying to divide the American people up, we are going to bring them together around an agenda that works for all of us, not just the billionaire class. While he is trying to divide us up based on the color of our skin or where we were born, or our sexual orientation or our religion, we are going to bring our people together around an agenda that says to the corporate elite, this country belongs to all of us, not just the 1%. So I want to thank all of you for your support. We're going to win the Democratic nomination, and together we are going to defeat Donald Trump. Thank you all very much. Watching that, it gave me chills because it just, it's so clear. It's so clear. Bernie is our ticket. Nobody else is going to make that case. Nobody can make that strong of a case against Donald Trump because nobody has the credibility that Bernie Sanders has. It's so clear to me. So there's something about this video that just, it spoke to me. It cut through all of my fears about Donald Trump winning, it goes away when I imagine a scenario where Bernie Sanders is the Democratic Party's nominee. Now, again, it's not, you know, going to be a cakewalk. We still have to fight really hard, and Trump could beat Bernie Sanders, but do I think that will be the case? Um, no, I'm confident that we can win with Bernie Sanders, and that case that he just made is so powerful that 
Almost every single voter who flipped from Obama to Trump in 2016, they're going to come back for Bernie Sanders. Not only that, so many young people will get out and vote for Bernie Sanders. So many more new voters will come into the process that if Bernie Sanders wins, he could win so large that we get a mandate. So if you honestly, like, if you truly believe that electability is the utmost important factor in selecting a candidate, you would be a fool to not know what Bernie Sanders is offering. He is offering us a ticket off of this hellscape. And I, I heard this uh, conversation in the latest episode of Chapo Trap. I'll shout out to them. I love them. And I think that Matt Chrisman basically said everything that I've been thinking, that Bernie supporters feel like all of the other Democrats, even Elizabeth Warren, they don't matter. Like, we are marching towards apocalypse. And if a Democrat beats Donald Trump, we'll still be marching towards apocalypse, albeit a little bit slower, right? We'll pump the brakes slightly, but we're still heading directly towards apocalypse. But Matt Chrisman said, Bernie supporters support him so passionately because we believe he provides us with an off-ramp, an off-ramp so we don't have to worry about apocalypse because of climate catastrophe or nuclear war. Bernie is someone who can truly change this country. And now when you see him, as him and Trump begin to go back and forth, man, it is becoming more and more clear that everything we've said throughout the years is right. Bernie would have won in 2016, and Bernie beats Donald Trump. And he's confident of that. And after seeing this video, I'm more confident. So get out there. Make some calls. Make sure Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Because if we want to beat Donald Trump, Bernie's our ticket. Hello everyone, I am here with 2020 congressional candidate from New Jersey's 8th congressional district. His name is Hector Oseguera and he's running against Albio Sierras and he's here to talk about his campaign. Hector, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me on. Really happy to talk to you. Yeah, you're the third, uh, I want to say, politician from New Jersey who I have interviewed and all of them have been recommended by Russ Cirincione. So shout out to him also was on the program as well. So um, yeah. your history is very interesting. Um, you're you're a millennial and you kind of follow this political trajectory where in 2014, you volunteered for Elizabeth Warren's senatorial campaign, 2016 Bernie's presidential campaign, 2018 AOC's congressional campaign, and now you're running yourself in 2020. So I as someone who would never want to run for Congress, I view this as like tremendous self-sacrifice. So what made you want to step up and run for Congress? Because I think this is something that is uh, is very noble considering I, I just would find it horrible to do. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. And like I said, thank you for having me on. What really made me want to run is sort of this political awakening. I've been interested in politics my whole life. I was a poli-sci major and public policy is always something that I've really cared about. And I come from a poor immigrant community, so there are a lot of issues that are constantly on the forefront with us, not just immigration, but wages, uh, labor rights, a whole host of issues that are always affecting the community. Gun violence is big where I live. And I think it's just time for people who are sick and fed up with this system to step up and do something about it. 
Uh, I live in an area that's 100% Democrats, almost completely run by Democrats. And so for a long time, a lot of people were sort of complacent and thought that everything was okay, right? Because even if national politics are sort of screwed up, we have all these Democrats and they'll protect us. But what started happening with me is I started digging into our local politicians and I started coming up against these really bad horror stories. So my opponent, Albio Ceres, he was my hometown mayor. I was raised in the smallest city in America. It's called West New York, New Jersey, right? And that is because we are directly west of Manhattan. It is a one square mile city. And my congressman had activists go to his office when the ICE detention centers were making headlines. And these activists made a very pragmatic ask of him. They said, would you uh, at least vote to rein in ICE spending, right? And I'm telling you, this is a heavily Democratic district, mostly immigrant, mostly Hispanic, right? So what do you think someone like that would say, right? They'd be like, okay, sure. He says, absolutely not. He says, ICE does great work, and I will never vote to cut a single dollar from ICE. That's his response to activists asking him in the height of the immigrant detention center crisis. That's his response to the activists. And so the more I dug into it, the more horror stories I came up with about my congressman. And I just decided that it's about time. He didn't have a primary challenger in 2018, so I didn't want this election cycle to go by and for people to feel like this guy's doing such a great job that he doesn't even deserve a challenge. So that's really what made me want to run and to run against him specifically. Yeah, that's that's a really great thing to say. A lot of people like in Congress, they, they become complacent. They hold fewer and fewer town halls as the years go by. And people just get comfortable. You think, oh, well, it's a Democrat, so they're going to represent me. But I mean, for someone like that, to I mean, for one, I think that every single politician should commit to wanting to abolish ICE. But if you can't, at a minimum, admit to like cutting funds to ICE, you're irredeemable. Like your career should be over. So I'm so glad that you stepped up. Like I always like whenever somebody comes on, I thank them for running for Congress because it's just such it's such a huge thing to do to put yourself through to kind of sacrifice your time when you know, you're you're a regular working American. So it, it's difficult to find yeah. time to do this. But we have to have people step up. Politicians have gone on for too long, haven't been checked. And I'm so glad that people across the country are, you know, just rising up and they're finally challenging them because these Democrats, they benefited from having a D in front of their names and they just kind of felt comfortable. But now I think that they're learning. We're not going to just accept the status quo. We're not going to accept, you know, you barely representing your district and keeping that seat warm. It's unacceptable. So I'm, I'm so glad that people are starting starting to finally like rise up. So I want to learn a little bit about yourself because you have a really robust campaign. Um, I've said this before. A lot of uh, congressional candidates have better campaigns than the people running for president. Um, a lot of people running for president, yours is no different, of course. Um, so I wanted you to talk through your campaign. And on top of that, I wanted you to talk a little bit about yourself because you have like this typical millennial story that I feel like really resonates with people, myself included, um, because you, you graduated law school and you couldn't find a job. You had to work at Five Guys. Thankfully, you ended up getting a job. You're currently an anti-money laundering specialist. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, a little bit about your platform as well and kind of like how your personal story influenced your current platform, because I always think that that's really interesting. Yeah, so I think all these things tie in together. So let's just start with 
uh, the lack of representation, right? My congressman, he has never held a single town hall and is never going to hold one. That's his stated stance. So that is off the rip. One of the things that really gets my blood boiling about the lack of representation, right? So I grew up in this town and New Jersey behaves like a bunch of little kingdoms. There are all these fiefdoms where you have a county boss who controls everything from the Board of Education up to the senator, right? And I grew up in this system and everybody's a Democrat, so you sort of assume everything's okay. I go away to college and I go, I went to BU and I start meeting all these leftists and I start getting involved in sort of progressive politics and learning a lot more. I eventually found my way to law school, like you said, and yeah, I come out of law school and the job market is crappy. So what ends up happening is I have to pay for rent. I have needs that need to be fulfilled. So yeah, what do I do? I had to take a job at Five Guys. I'm flipping burgers with, uh, you know, a JD. And like you said, that's a kind of typical millennial story. Being Hispanic and sort of like being from this blue collar community. My dad was a blue collar worker his whole life. He was a truck driver. He was a taxi cab driver. He did. He was a plumber. He was a handyman. He did every blue collar job under the sun. And so I've never had this sort of like elitist, oh, well, I have a degree, so I can't do that, right? Like, that's just not in my reality. That's not in my work ethic. So when time got hard, I had to get to doing things. And I took a job at Five Guys. You know, I'm flipping burgers for a few months, and eventually I was able to find a job. How I ended up in anti-money laundering is that while I was in law school, I had this wonderful professor. Her name is Elizabeth Spawn. And I really owe everything to her. Professor Spawn, if you're listening, I love you. You are the reason I'm here today. And she actually ha is on a list in China. Whenever she goes to China, she's followed around by their government because she's heavy into the anti-corruption space. She does a lot of writing about uh, anti-corruption and anti-money laundering in general. And what I came to see is that corruption is the sort of in the backdrop of all the issues that affect us. If you're talking about uh, healthcare, if you're talking about education, if you're talking about the war machine, there's always this person in the background who's pulling these strings and the strings are always money. It's, it's always money and it's never legitimate money. It's always money that they've stolen either or gained illegitimately. And now in their quest to make that money look legitimate, they engage in all these corrupt activities that end up really hurting working class people like me and like the people in my community. So one of the key pillars of our platform is affordable housing, right? Why is it so hard to find affordable housing where I live in Hudson County or in New York City, right? What you have is all these developments going up. These real estate developers are putting up these high rises, these luxury high rises, and they cost so much, right? So I'm an attorney, right? I tend to be doing better than the average person just because of the position that I hold. And even I could absolutely never afford one of these high rises, one of these condos. No way in hell could I afford these things. So who's affording these things, right? You have all these investors coming in. There was a scandal with Trump uh, bringing, pay, paying, I think it was about a half a million dollars to get these investors coming in from China. You have a lot of uh, corrupt people trying to bring their money into the United States. And so what they'll do is they'll buy up all these high rises 
they'll buy up all these condos. Nobody lives there, but nobody cares because all the right people are getting paid off. So affordable housing is because of corruption. If you go into healthcare, the insurance industries, it's because of corruption. If you go into almost any issue that progressives are talking about today, immigration, uh, labor rights, any issue that you go into, you eventually come up with a guy with a ton of money who's trying to hide it. And that's so interesting. And I'm glad that you have this background. Like, I'm never someone on my show, my audience knows this, who will, you know, command that anyone running for Congress have, like, the right type of experience and whatnot. But I think that it's so neat that you're an anti-money laundering specialist because you kind of see, like, a behind the, you know, the curtain look that we all don't really get to see. Like, you understand all these underlying mechanisms that lead to corruption. And I think that probably arms you with more knowledge than most people in Congress going in to be able to take on these crooks, which I think is great. So um, I kind of want to expand the conversation. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your worldview. Very, very big question. But generally speaking, like, let's say you're elected to Congress. Um, what would you hope to fix? Are we looking at structurally, uh, short term, long term? Like, what do you want to accomplish, let's say, within your first term? And what are like, long term goals that you think the left can and should accomplish? Great question. So there are a couple big ticket items, like, uh, Medicare for all that I would jump right onto. So Pramila Jayapal's bill and Bernie Sanders bill is something that I would start pushing day one. We're going to get that passed in my first term. Beyond that, now that we're talking up on the anti-money laundering stuff, I would be really big on a 21st century Glass-Steagall Act, a 21st century antitrust act. Antitrust was one of those really important classes that I took in law school that, again, gives you that uh, behind the curtain look at what are these mega corporations doing in the background that is so anti-competitive, right? So America is supposed to be this capitalist bastion, free markets, right? But what you don't see, what you don't hear that much about is all the monopoly power that exists in our economy, which actually makes it not really much of a free market at all. We're actually living under a bunch of corporate fiefdoms. Uh, corporate masters who are heavily invested in not having any competition in their market because that'll mess up their bottom line. It's the same thing with healthcare, right? Why is there only a few insurance companies? When you look at the insurance market, what you have is a bunch of state-by-state -state monopolies, which is the reason why we can't get affordable healthcare in this country. It's one of the big reasons. So a 21st century Glass-Steagall, um, I'm really interested in the Stock Act, the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act, um, because what you also end up seeing is a lot of politicians will go into Congress and they will start regulating an industry, right? Now, lo and behold, the day that they leave Congress, they will go into being a lobbyist for that very same industry. So John Boehner, I think, is the best example. He was essentially the tobacco industry's congressman. As soon as he left Congress, he became the tobacco industry's lobbyist. So that's something that we really need to cut back on, like 100%. Um, you have a lot of things very similar to that, not quite as blatant, but someone's my background definitely has the tools to by the sort of lobbyist powers because 
you know, publicly funded elections is another one. I'm basically trying to get the money out of politics, I guess, is the big banner you could put that under. But that comes under a lot of shapes and sizes, depending on whether we're talking about electoral politics or whether we're talking about, you know, in the legislative act of being uh, in Congress. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because the way that you break down, like, corruption and the way it works, it's really simplistic and it helps people like me understand. Like, I have a very broad sense of, like, what to look for, but you kind of really know all of the intricacies and nuances of it. So when you talk to people, you know, when you're knocking on doors and whatnot, what's the response? Because whenever you see like a populist type of campaign in any country, not just the US, anti-corruption is usually like at the top of their agenda because people around the world see that global capitalism has corrupted a lot of institutions everywhere. And I would imagine that the response to that, especially knowing who the incumbent is currently, it's got to be like you've got to be making a lot of people, you know, uh, want to jump on board with your campaign. Right. Like, what's the response? Yeah, well, you know, you're not going to make a lot of news talking about corruption in New Jersey. Right. It's sort of like a running <laughs> joke that New Jersey is like politically corrupt. And there is so much we could touch upon in that regard, specifically with my district. Right. So one quick story I'll tell you about is that, um, like I said, the part of New Jersey where I exist is run like a bunch of fiefdoms. And my congressman basically has goes down the line. The line is something that we probably will talk about. It's a mechanism that the establishment uses to perpetuate itself in New Jersey. But essentially what you have is that these higher end politicians, your senators, your congressmen will go down to the local level, the police, the firefighters, the teachers, the crossing guards, and they basically make them feel as if they are only in their position because that politician sort of pitied them and gave them a job, right? And so you find a lot of local teachers who, you know, get into it for all the right reasons. They love children. They want to teach. And then a couple months into their job, they'll come to find out that they have to go canvassing for their local politicians. Not kidding. And these sorts of things constantly repeat themselves throughout New Jersey politics. Uh, these are mechanisms that the establishment uses to continually perpetuate themselves. So the response is amazing because people know what's going on. It's, it's like an open secret, right? Everybody knows what these politicians do. There was a story that broke not that long ago about people in a town in my district where the local party boss had people who lived in different towns, had moved away years ago, but still maintained an address in that town, and they would come back and vote there. They lived, They usually had another address somewhere else in the district. They'd go there and vote as well. So there are all these, like, really small, like, insidious and hard-to-know-about mechanisms that the politicians use to perpetuate themselves and to keep themselves in office. And a lot of people are really sick of it. It's not a secret. Everybody knows about it. And a lot of people are just sick of that. And they are ready for change. The reception has been tremendous. Every single day, I've got my DMs are blowing up with people like, oh, my God, I can't believe someone's really going to challenge the boss. Because that's, that's essentially who I'm challenging. I'm challenging the county boss. And, you know, it's a great risk. Nobody thinks that anyone would ever do something like this. So... Just the fact that someone's doing it, the reception is really good. 
That's awesome. I See, and I think that it resonates with people because for members of Congress, there's this sense of entitlement. Like, they are the ones who are elected there, and if you want to be the next person, you've got to wait your turn, you've got to pull all the right strings, get to know all the right people, and it's so frustrating. And to see someone kind of like buck that type of orthodoxy, if you will, it's really nice. Um, so I want to ask you, because you, you kind of touched on something that I think makes up a lot of the issues that M Americans have with Congress. So people don't want to take action that help them get elected. So an example is health care, of course. You know, a lot of Democrats and Republicans, but Democrats specifically who don't support Medicare for all, they take money from private health insurers, big pharma, and then in turn, they don't yep. support policies like Medicare for all. And this is yeah. specifically because, you know, if they support that policy, then all that donations go away. And that reduces the chance that they get elected. Because if you want to get elected in America or reelected, you need money. So my question for you is, strategically speaking, how do you convince them if that's even possible? Like, do you think you can basically put Democrats in a headlock, you know, your colleagues, if you get elected and get them to come on board with policies like Medicare for all? Or do you actually have to support primary challenges? Like, what do you think is the best way? Because I kind of feel like it's in, you know, all kitchen sink approach. Let's do all of that. But I don't necessarily know what will actually be conducive to victory. So what's kind of your plan going in? Okay, so I kind of shy away from what's conducive to victory because nobody knows what's going to win here, right? We yeah. have to do everything we can. So I support all the primary challengers. You mentioned the other New Jersey uh, primary challengers that you had on, Russ and Zena, who I know well and who I'm completely behind. But yes, uh, when we're in office, we do have to, so this is from my anti-corruption career, but you have to name and shame them, right? Yeah. So we have to say, this person is taking money from this industry. A great one from New Jersey is somebody who's running for president, Cory Booker, someone who I don't support personally because he takes a ton of money from the pharmaceutical industry, and that's been well-known in Jersey for a very long time. So yeah, you have to name and shame them. You have to say, this person takes money from this industry, and that's why they won't vote the way that they should. Yeah, and I love that. Naming and shaming, I think it's important. And the reason why like we don't see more of that is because like nobody can really name and shame in Congress because they're all corrupt. Like AOC. Yeah, they're all doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, AOC can name and shame. But like if you're, let's yeah. say you're in Congress and you're Donald Norcross, another corrupt politician uh -huh. from new jersey oh. he can't who is he gonna name and shame because he's just as corrupt as everyone else himself. yeah it's... he's gonna name and shame himself <laughs> exactly so it's like this is why nothing is getting done because they're all bought and paid for albeit you know maybe yeah. from different industries and whatnot but nobody wants to you know call out corruption because if you're participating yeah. in it then you're a hypocrite and you don't want to, that to get turned around on you so it's frustrating so this is why i think like for the first time i feel like cautiously optimistic i stress the cautious because so many people are like standing up and running for congress like i remember back in 2016 when i just started the humanist report i could count like the number of progressives primarying uh other democrats like on one hand now it's impossible to keep track and i've brought on like almost 30 people on the program including yourself now so it's it's so exciting because it feels like finally there's this sense that america is waking up um, but my question to you is, and this is something that I genuinely don't know the answer to, how do we keep the movement sustained? I oftentimes try to like come up with these good hypotheticals, like, you know, let's say Bernie's elected and you're in Congress, what can we achieve? But I kind of want to get a little bit grim for a moment, if, you're, if you'll indulge. Yeah. Um, so let's Ooh. say the worst case scenario happens. Um, let's say that yeah. we lose in 2020 and Trump is reelected. 
How do we yeah. keep the movement like galvanized? Because that's one thing that I'm worried about. Like demoralization and just apathy and cynicism, it makes it really difficult. Like it's a huge barrier. And I don't think that people talk about yeah. that enough. So how do you keep this momentum going, even if it feels like, you know, the situation is hopeless, just from your experience, because you're an organizer, you're an activist. So what would you say to that? Because I, I genuinely don't know. It's hard to like keep people, um, you know, feeling encouraged on my show when it's like I report bad news after bad news after bad news. So what do you, what would you say? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a very legit question. And I think what we're doing now is that we have a plan for the alternative, right? So, yeah, we're always planning for, yeah, 2020, Bernie gets elected. There's a progressive sweep of all Congress and we're all in office, right? But I think AOC is actually the model for this, is that when you're in that position of power, you don't let your foot off the gas we can't get complacent, right? Because in a lot of ways, complacency is what brought us Trump, right? All this complacency about the Obama years and sort of feeling like, oh, we won, we won the ide ideological war, the right has been defeated and, you know, rainbows and butterflies forever. That is what got us Trump, because that opens the floodgates for people to organize and to fight back against us. So I think AOC and the squad in general, they are the model for what we're doing. They have not let their foot off the gas. They've been, you know, causing mayhem left and right, and we're loving it. And that's what we have to do, right? Worst case scenario, everybody loses 2020, Trump is reelected, worst case scenario, right? What we do is that we get out in the streets the very next day, we apply pressure, we make phone calls. You know, it, it's basically a continuation of the energy that's going on now because there is a tremendous amount of progressive energy out there and it's going to go somewhere in that worst case scenario, right? Those people are not going to just poof out of existence. They're going to be somewhere. They're going to have priorities. There are so many groups that I speak to on a daily basis that have been sort of doing this long slog for a long time when it's, I mean, if it's uh, domestic workers' rights, if it's gun violence, these are people that have been in the trenches fighting these fights for a long time with no fame and no glory and just the sweat on their brow and these little victories that they can pick together. So worst case scenario, talk to people in our communities and let them know that we're not going to go away because they're not going to go away. And these problems are not going to go away. So just applying the pressure and not letting your foot off the gas, I think, is the best sort of contingency plan. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it's um, it's easy to kind of see where we went wrong, at least for myself, because like you said, we were complacent after Obama, I think, generally speaking. M you know, for me, I was in college. I was working at Blockbuster and Subway while in college. And it's like, OK, he's elected. I could just kind of hang out now. But that's not really the way the politics yeah. works. That's not the way that change happens. And then you, you do kind of see, you know, these little windows of opportunity. We had the Occupy movement. And now with the Bernie Sanders movement, I think that what he created will persist throughout the years. I really do feel confident about that. Um, and like you said, it, it really, it comes down to leadership from progressives like AOC that we now have that we didn't really have before, um, who are very yeah. visible. And I think that really does make a difference. Like having people represent a movement, it does help. Um, so let me ask you this by now, anyone who's watching is going to be convinced they're going to want to support you. So what can we do to make sure you are elected? Uh, give us your pitch and tell us what we can do and where to go. 
Well, if you want to support, you can go to my website, which is Osegera2020, my last name, Osegera2020.com. Um, please donate, sign up to volunteer. If you live in New Jersey, anywhere in New Jersey, specifically in my district, please look me up. I'm very responsive on social media. Someone from my team will get back to you. We're, you know, this is going to be a push of all of us. So if you're interested, if you care about these issues, please sign up, donate, uh, sign up to volunteer, sign up to canvas with us. We'll be canvassing in Elizabeth on Saturday. We have a meet and greet in Weehawken next week. We're just, you know, really hitting the campaign trail hard. We're not going to leave this up to chance. This is a campaign to win. We're fighting to defeat the Democratic establishment. That is what this is about. And if that's something that people are interested in, I, you know, I will beg you to sign up, do anything you can to push this movement along. Absolutely. Well, we will leave that there. Hector, thank you so much for coming on the program. It's been a pleasure. We will be watching and rooting for you, man. Thank you so much, Mike. Pleasure. And that is everything. Thank you all so much for tuning in. It's been not necessarily the happiest news week, but we're all in this together. Understand, we win together, we we lose together. You're not in this alone. So whenever you feel like, you know, you're really overwhelmed by the news cycle, know that you're not suffering alone. You're not happy alone. The progressive community, we are large and we're stronger than ever and you're part of that. So I really want you to remember that because I remind myself of that when I start feeling that feeling of isolation that I did in 2016 when it felt like we had no allies. No, we are a community. And even though this sentiment may seem a little bit corny, it's true. And I know that you know it's true as well. Well, that's everything. As usual, I want to send a thank you to all of our Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube members for helping helping the show to not just survive but thrive as well. And that's all that I've got for you all. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.